what's up, boys? Hey, how's it going? How do I sound okay? Yeah, you sound good. Hey. Good job, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Push it back. So far, so good. Are we uh, ready to get started? I am. I yeah. think I need to record here. Hang on. So from what I understand, I should just click all these buttons, right? <laughs> <laughs> but only click them one time until we're done. <laughs> all right. So this might be our quickest start ever. You guys ready to get started up? Or, or even early. Sure. After combat. All right, so this is the Advanced After Combat podcast. It's brought to you by myself, Dave, my bromance partner, Jason. Hello. And a mystery guest who we select each month from our BGG guild on uh, Board Game Geek. Um, and this time, our mystery guest host is Paul. Welcome. Hey, guys. So, uh, Paul, you've got kind of an interesting setup for a mystery guest. Um, what, what's your situation right now? Where are you this located? Is, this is all I want to talk about for the next three hours. This is fascinating. I am I am in a hotel, a fancy hotel. So, so Paul, uh, listeners might wonder, so you must be on some kind of business trip? or <laughs> I am not. I, uh, I was at home 20 minutes ago, and I booked a hotel room to record the podcast. Wow. <laughs> I, I i appreciate it so i yeah it's I've, i have little kids and we live in a small house and i just figured it was better for everybody involved if i separated myself from that situation for a couple hours yeah see this is the kind of effort that we're looking for from mystery house so yeah everyone is else good. is on notice I mean, basically, uh, we thought that Jack was broadcasting from some fancy yacht club, but then we figured out it was actually just his garage. <laughs> All right. So, um, Paul, you want to give us a quick breakdown on uh, a little bit of your backstory as far as how you got into gaming and uh, then eventually how you found the podcast and started participating? Sure, sure. So <clears throat> I, I played games, you know, when I was in high school and whatever, you know, Risk and that kind of thing. Uh, but I was never like into gaming. I never really did RPGs or anything like that. Um, but then a couple of years ago, I started playing uh, train games. So I played 1830 with some people at work. And then I found BGG and I kind of got sucked into all these kind of weird economic games. And uh, there's another guy on BGG uh, who I think he's sometimes in the AC Guild, uh, Minneapolis Matt. And he was like, hey, you should check out this Advanced After Combat podcast. Because I was kind of playing some war games. And he was like, these guys like get drunk and it's a stupid podcast. But they know a shit ton about war games. So you should just listen to it sometime. So I listened, I think, uh, like a year ago when Leroy was hosting. And, I, uh, okay. and then I found the guild. And it's all been downhill from there. Yeah, you're, you've become quite the collector. I mean, you have not, yeah. Really, yeah, you have not <laughs> been subtle A little, little bit. So what what big series games are, are like? Are you doing like what what are the big games that you war games that you're really getting into right now? So so my goal for this year, I, I played some OCS last year and I liked it, but I felt like I was never really playing enough to like get good at it. You know, like I'd have to relearn the rules every time I played. So I was like, this year I'm going to play a lot of OCS, and I played some, but I also bought a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there, and there's a lot of stuff that's hard to get too. So. Yeah, I've been trying to just kind of not go crazy 
and just sit around and, and lurk. And if something shows up that's cheap, I'll pounce on it. But like, I don't know. I can't justify spending $500 on Case Blue. The, the problem is like even on like eBay, I mean, the market is a strong buyer's market. So like I saw a guy had colon from Battle of the Age of Reason up like for 25 bucks, but there were like 12 motherfuckers watching it. And sure <laughs> enough, like by the time I think it went for like 98 by the time it was uh, done, which maybe isn't too bad. I don't know what it originally sold for, but it's way out of print. So like the idea that you could get it is, is, is I think it was unpunched too. So the like DAC two case blue, those are like the famous ones for OCS that are hard to get now. Yeah, I, I saw uh, Kev Sharp said something about how DAC was not that different from DAC two, and there was a pretty cheap copy of DAC, so I picked that up. Uh, but then, yeah, you look at DAC two, and it's like four hundred dollars or something like that. So it's just some of those games are crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I've actually I got a kind of uh, urge to get back to OCS also. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to take down all the games I have on my eight by five table, and I'm going to set up Case Blue, and I'm going to start like soloing through my Case Blue just to fuck around with it. And then I realized like. Even with an eight by five table, I don't have enough space to set up. <laughs> I can set up like two scenarios from Case Blue. The fucking scenarios in that game are ridiculous. It's like, okay, this is going to be the southern part of uh, of Case Blue. You're going to need all the enemy at the gate maps, all the Case Blue maps. You're also going to need the bottom two Guderian Blitzkrieg maps. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? I mean, it's seriously like 13 feet by like 10 feet. Like no one can set that up. I physically cannot set it up in my room. Yeah, I've I, I don't have much space for gaming, so I can I can do like two maps, and that's and I can fit three, but I never tried it, and I think it would just be way too tight. I have like a desk, basically. I don't have a room to myself, so I have a desk that I my neighbor helped me build this sort of wood contraption that sits on top of it, which is too heavy for the cat or the toddlers to pull on. So I, I keep games underneath that, but I don't, I don't have like a whole table or anything like that. Yeah, it just it really struck me because I realized that while I've owned Case Blue probably since 2007 or 2008 when it came out, I've never actually played my physical copy of it. You know, like I just it, – and it's, it's not like there's medium-sized scenarios. It basically goes from a couple little ones to just gigantic. There's no in-between scenarios there. Yeah, and I – I don't know. Like, I think it's one of those things where I think I'd like to try it. You know, like everybody, I think really wants to play those big scenarios, but like, I don't know how long it would take me because I'll play for you know like half an hour here, forty five minutes there. Yeah, I it finally, would take me like I, eighteen years to play Case I, Blue if I sold it. I, I gave up. I just started setting up Sicily, the new Sicily. Uh -huh. So I was like, that's that's one map sheet. I can handle that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I and like. I started doing Blitzkrieg Legend just because I, I like the campaign. Um, but I think I think that's like 12 turns, so it's not even that long by OCS terms. But like I'm one turn in, and that's been like a month. So I yeah, don't think I've got a whole year in me. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's another one that I want to do, and I, I've got it, and I, I haven't set it up. So uh, like I, I the the bulge one was okay. I didn't I didn't think it was as good. Uh, OCS just really shines for that East Front type stuff. And uh, so it's it's kind of hard because so many of those the stuff that's available for the East Front is like big and gigantic. Yeah, yeah. I, I picked up a, a copy of Guderian's Blitzkrieg. I think it was like forty bucks or something because it was punched. Um, but I, yeah, I, I looked. At, I set the maps up. You know, after the kids went to bed one night on the floor, just kind of looked at it. But I don't know when I would ever actually play that thing. One day. When, you, <laughs> when your wife lets you move out to the suburbs, I've started right. selling it.
and I don't want to say it's just because I want a gaming room, but like, you know, she wouldn't have to work so much, you know, you don't have this crazy commute anymore. Like, Does she have a hobby? Is there some kind of hobby you could sell around? She's she paints, so she could paint. There, you know, there you a, go. She could have an art room, a studio. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, and and you've done some modeling, so I mean, you could actually be. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I've seen, some your, I've seen some of your work. It's it's impressive. It's very artistic. Thank you. I was confused by the scale, but I mean, like, well, I don't know. They, I don't know if it was to scale or, but it looked it looked it looked impressive. So. So uh, what are you drinking, Paul? I've got a I've got a Maximus, which was a podcast recommendation. Yeah, that's, that's a great stuff. beer. That's a great beer. It's it's a beer with the punch of booze. <laughs> yeah, I, I rolled into the hotel with a backpack, and I had I had a game I was going to review, and then a bottle of whiskey and two Maximus. So I'm on number two right now. What about it's going to be a good night? Uh, surprisingly, I'm drinking a Negroni. Oh, that's right. That's your thing. That's, you're, just, you're not getting tired of those. That's all I drink now. It's ridiculous. I like. I used to do like the Instagram thing and take a new cocktail picture every day, and now I just it's just a Negroni. And my wife quit drinking, um, so it's easy. I can just mix it up. It's either that or whiskey. Oh, so she flat out quit. Um, for a while, yeah. She's she's having like some, well weight and skin issues so she's trying oh. to trying to get to the root of the problem i guess yeah i'm not drinking either yeah so i'm off solidarity do- doctor's orders so uh we'll see it's temporary folks don't worry <laughs> <laughs> i mean drinking's one of my superpowers so i really exactly. can't not do it for and I, we'll, we'll get into that i'll probably talk about it <laughs> we don't talk about it right now so um have but you, have you been also doing a lot of vassal stuff with the guys in the guild too? Is that, that been you, you? You met any bromance partners that you've been gaming with? Yeah, yeah, I've been. Uh, I, I got I got a talking to. I used I was I got really into it, and then my wife and I had a conversation about what was an appropriate amount of vassal per week. So I scaled oh. back a little bit. <laughs> and what's 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 the current appropriate amount? I can do it twice. I get two a week. So, yeah, so that's, that's not where, too bad. That's where I'm at. Thursday night, yeah. Thursday and Friday nights. But I have to wait till she's asleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's not a problem for me because most people are West Coast and I'm Central Time. And my wife goes to bed at like 830. So I can usually <laughs> I could swing that pretty easily. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so we have a quiz. Well, I, while oh, we're talking about oh, gaming, I want to I hear about the trains and chits. Con. <laughs> so speaking of Minneapolis, Matt, I, I follow him on Instagram and like he's posting all these pictures of these games he's playing. And then all of a sudden, like sitting at a patio table, there's Paul. It's like, I thought he was in Minneapolis. Like, what what's going on? So he flew down to Houston? Uh, Dallas. So Dallas? There, was a, um, there were a couple people who were in Dallas who I met at BGG Con before. Um, so my, my in-laws are in Fort Worth. So I'm big on Dallas-based conventions. Uh, which is great because <laughs> there, <enough>. are, <laughs> there are a decent number of them. So so I, uh, they set up this game weekend where it was going to be all train games and war games, which is like, that's all I do. Mm-hmm. So I was I was all in. Yeah, solidarity. Uh, so I didn't actually, I almost, I think I played one train game. It was all, it was all chit for me, no trains, but that's just kind of the way it shook out. But I had a lot of fun. I played. Uh, so it was and, just like a little house con, right? Yeah, I think there were like 10 people there, something like that. So. Right on. So, so what's the trains and chits? Is that like a blog or something? 
No, it was just what they called this con because they wanted to. The chits are for war games and the trains okay. are for train games. Okay. So yeah, it was. Uh, I played a little. There's a game called Northern Pacific. It's like 15 minutes long. Stupid little train game. And I think that's the only train thing I did. Everything else was war games. Are are these real train games or are these like stock games disguised as train games? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think I, they, I think we would say those are real train games, Dave. And the other ones are just like random games. They're just filler. Train games. <laughs> Yeah, like my my experience with train games is like Railroad Tycoon. That's it. That's all I ever played. The the board game or the video game? No, the video game. Oh, okay. I the video game because the board game is pretty solid. Yeah, there was eight, people played eighteen thirty, eighteen sixty. A bunch of the the eighteen XX games were getting played, but but I was locked in on the war games, so I didn't participate. Good man. Good job. <laughs> but I've been I, David. I, I had to... different reactions to that. <laughs> yeah. Jason was Jason was frowny like, face. Wah, wah. When when Duck reviewed eighteen seventeen, I viewed that as a personal triumph when we got that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well lately our standards have really yeah, slipped as far as what we allow on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of a lot of snarky comments like since it's an RPG podcast now, I guess we'll just <laughs> Yeah, fuck those guys. Whoever's saying that. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh so any other questions, Jason? Are you good? No, I'm good. No, you're allowed to ask questions too. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll hand the reins back to you. So, Paul, there's a quiz. And Jason, we're both riding side by side on the buckboard. I mean, anybody can grab the reins. The horse knows the way back to the barn. It's okay. That's right. Thank goodness. Okay, so uh, basically, basically, there's a quiz, and Paul, uh, you can select one of us to be your partner in the quiz. And I Shit, printed I out the about quiz this already. <laughs> I printed out the quiz, but I did not look at it. And I did this by taking off my reading glasses while I printed it. <laughs> well, I mean, so so from a competitive standpoint, oh, from what go. I've listened to, here I feel like it's obvious I should choose Dave. <laughs> That's fair. No offense, Jason. No, I don't know. It is competitive. <laughs> the quiz is competitive. I mean, we it's, grade it's it. It's getting right? more competitive. It's and, I, and I paid for the hotel room, so I really want this thing to get published. So I, I got to get at least one question right. That, that's right. This is the greatest outlay of funds that's ever been made for different appearance on the podcast. <laughs> so if I, I understood you correctly, you're not spending the night there. No, I am. I am. Oh, there's okay. no way. There's no way I'm taking okay. it back home. Home is Good. like 300 yards away, but I'm going to just drink Good. and then pass out here. Okay. And deal with the consequences okay. tomorrow. I approve. All right, Jason, I'm forwarding the quiz to you. I might have to tell Braxton to just send it to both of us. I, I won't cheat. Yeah, that would make sense. But All right, it's on its way. It. Yeah, it's funny with the no drinking... Uh, Pete has been complaining vociferously in our ASL game that it's not fair, that I'm sober <laughs> and he's drunk. Uh, but I'll tell you, we are not missing many rules. Like, I am fucking on top of the rules. I'll be like, wait, no ammunition shortage because it's a siege. He's like, fuck. You're on it. Like, extreme winter, deep snow. You can't do that in deep snow. All right. Uh, Braxton has called this one shit. It's just another podcast quiz. I feel like he's really phoning this one in. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it looks a little bit like that. There's there's some some good stuff on here. So technically, I can help. I can answer three questions, but I think I can also give hints. 
or I can at least tell you if I know whether it's worthwhile to ask me on a question. I'll just I'll just sit here until there's an awkward silence and you feel compelled to say something, and then I'll take what I can get. All right, yeah, I might need more prompting than that, but we'll see. <laughs> you can just fish for it. It is time for Name That Opposing Commander. The Battle of Thapsus, 46 BC. Uh, my commander is... Metalus Scipio. Who is your commander? Fuck. Uh, you don't waste me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll say. Uh, so, so, so he must be a Roman type, dude. Uh, I will say Hannibal. <laughs> Julius Caesar. Fuck. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, no way I knew that one. So <laughs> the Caesar would have been a good bet, bet, but I think a lot of Romans fought a lot of Romans during that period. Yeah. <laughs> the Battle of Hatton, 1187. My commander is Guy, it's probably Guy, right? Guy of Lusan? Lusinan? I'm going to go with Lusinan. Oh, Guy of Lusan, uh, Lusinan. He's a crusader guy, right? Uh, Dave, are you are you a crusade guy, Dave? I I uh, I don't know it for sure, but I would say you could probably make a good guess. Our go-to Muslim yeah. in these situations. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna roll with uh, roll with old salad in here. That is correct. We can continue. That's, he's the answer to pretty much every <laughs> crusader question. The Battle of Tewksbury. Uh, 1471. My commander is Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset. Who is your commander? 1471. 1471. <sighs> is that English Civil War? I don't, it's, I don't know. I think it's War of the Roses. Oh, War of the Roses. Fuck me. I can give you a guess on it. All right, let's let's call on the ringer here. <laughs> I'm trying to Jesus. I'm trying. There's so many fucking different guys. That, <laughs> the problem with this these wars is, and they're all on the same side or the same the same type of name. I'm going to guess Edward. <laughs> Strong answer, Dave. Let's that's do a it. good guess. Is there a number? There's a number. <laughs> of course there's a King, number. King Edward. <laughs> oh, shit. Which the? He was... I don't think he's the first Edward. I would say Edward the third. Pa, how you feel about that? I love it. Let's do it. Let's go with Edward the fourth. Oh, oh damn it, Dave! <laughs> Missed it by that much. I think there was one Edward stuck locked up in the the Tower of London at some point, but that might have been later. <laughs> the Battle of Bunker Hill, seventeen seventy five. My commander is William Howe. Yeah, this just sounds like something I should know. I could give you the war. Dave. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I do not know this one. I appreciate that. Uh, Brax and I are playing Liberty and Death right now with uh, Leroy and Ja Kinney. 
Are you, how do you like that by email? I was I never thought coin would do that well. Yeah, it's a little slow. I, I would like to play it in person to kind of get that get that tactile feel for it. But it's it's good. I just it's hard to keep track. Yeah, and I and I feel like coin, there's some like you got to negotiate a little bit, and I feel like that'd be hard if not everybody's around to kind of talk people out of stuff and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the the Bunker Hill guy is not I think he died in the battle. I think he was bayoneted. Uh so I don't think he's like a famous character. Uh, well, uh, I, can, I, can, I can take a Benedict guess Arnold. afterwards. We'll don't tell the there. don't tell the, the answer, Jason, I'd like to guess afterwards, but <laughs> my answer is Benedict Arnold. We can put put me out of my misery here. So you that is ahead, not Dave. that is not correct. Is it Warren? It's William Prescott. William Prescott, fuck. Strong start here, guys. So. <laughs> we're, we're doing good. You got Saladin. Yeah. Uh, the Battle of Friedland, 1807. My commander's Napoleon. Who oh, is yours? Shit. Of course, yours is Napoleon. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, the, the only Napoleonics guy I know is Napoleon. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the other guy who has a name, a, a game named after him, Wellington. Yeah, Napoleon's yeah. the well well known guy from the Napoleonic period. <laughs> yeah. the, the Nick guy, not so well known. That's <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Uh, um, who's the Prussian guy? Is that Blucher? Is that the Prussian guy? Or are you not, is that not even the right war? Bl- Blucher is a Prussian. All right, let's go with that. 11 August, Jesus, Count, no. Count von Benigsen? Christ. Yeah, no, yeah, I got nothing. I don't know what I did to Braxton, but I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I like... Braxton doesn't know. He doesn't know who you <laughs> That's are. <true>. So. <laughs> That's true. I like Braxton has each each uh, question on a page. He's he, he, he thinks this through. The font's nice and big. I appreciate it. And it's time for one of my favorite of the four questions. It's time for who the fuck said that shit. All right. Name the military persona that each listed quote is associated with. This is probably my worst category. But... <laughs> this is tough. Although I think I what never, the fuck am I is. is I can never even get movie quotes right. So, I mean, I'm terrible at <laughs> quotes. Into, like, I'll always get it partway right. And then the other guy says it correctly. And I'm like, oh, that was the quote. I had the right idea, though. And a TV show jingles too. Playing oh, Gamma yeah, World, I, we're all like, what terrible. the fuck is that? Terrible. <laughs> my, my parents didn't let me watch TV in the 70s and early 80s. So I'm like, out of. Yeah. It's all reruns for me. All right. Come on, by, you And by, by parents, I'm using that word very loosely. <laughs> Fair enough. Latchkey kid. We, we talked about that last time. Come on, you sons of bitches. Do you want to live forever? Come on, should I should I put a little more uh, screaming into it? That that sounds like something <laughs> that was screamed. Yeah, it's got to be modern, more like twentieth century, because they actually put the sons of bitches part in there. So, like anything early, would be like, I say they're good sirs. <laughs> pip pip cheerio. Oh man, and I have no idea for the record. <laughs> Uh, 
I have, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody here. Let's see. I'm going to go with, uh, who's somebody from Vietnam? I'll say somebody from Vietnam. <laughs> linebacker. General linebacker. 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 <laughs> Gunnery Sergeant Dan Daly. Well, that was not going to be the one I said. No. So. World War One. Wow. And by the way, not a motivational quote. No, be not like, at all. I'd be like, yes. yeah, I'm yeah, not looking at, to live forever. At least forever. a little bit longer. I'm like, I'm not greedy. <laughs> like, I don't need to live forever, but I'm hoping to live to see tomorrow. <laughs> I looked him up on Wikipedia, one of 19 men to win the Medal of Honor twice. Apparently he was a badass. Posthumously? I, I, don't, I don't believe so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Probably everyone else got killed but him. <laughs> I come in peace. I didn't bring my artillery, but I'm pleading with you with tears in my eyes. If you fuck with me, I'll kill you all. This is a good one. That is a good quote. It'd be great if I knew who said it. If you fuck with me? If you fuck with me. Wow. Yeah, no idea. Who the fuck said that shit? So, who the fuck said that shit? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty prescient. I got, I got absolutely no idea. James uh, Mattis. Oh, sorry. Oh, wow. That was my guess, Jason. <laughs> he was about he to said say I got it. nothing. I, I, I took it. I, I should have said final answer. Nice. Yeah, that's a good quote. The warrior monk. Yeah. <laughs> it is sometimes tougher to fight my superiors than the French. So that narrows it down a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would have a guess on that one if, if I could. Uh, let's see. I don't, so it's just like, I don't know. In the French World War One. The problem is everyone at some point has fought the French. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know enough to be confident to help you. So, uh, I'm going to go, who is that guy? Ludendorff? I'll say him. Somebody World War One. Hans Guderian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But he didn't have too much trouble fighting the French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why his superiors were tougher. <laughs> That's funny. This one isn't super specific. For God's sakes, forward. Wow. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nothing. I got nothing. Linebacker. Uh, good night. Um, so I, 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 that's, I've been trying to curse less in front of my kids because I feel like that's a risk. Are they starting to talk? Son. Yeah. Well, my son can talk. Uh, but he can, like, I think we're at risk of him picking that up. Yeah. So I've adopted good night. As my good night. Own. That's fair. That's my, that's my curse-like word. Did I, Dave, did I tell you about motherfucker? No. So, <laughs> so we're putting in baseboards 
and I did something like I smashed my finger or I put a you know nail gun nail through my finger or something and Cameron was in the bathroom quote unquote helping me uh, by which I mean moving everything and getting in the way <clears throat> so whatever happened I screamed motherfucker and he stood up Meyer fire oh, and then yeah. walked around for the next five minutes Meyer fire <laughs> you got distracted, distracted <laughs> him quickly yeah yeah so I gave him M&Ms and, and he moved on yeah, so cursing less around the children is good. Yeah, I mean that that's always a problem. Like I, I used I said a hole. Somehow I thought that was better and that didn't work out either. So it was a story about when I was a kid, my dad was driving somewhere with me and he got cut off, so he said asshole. And then I got home and my mom's parents were there and I was like, Grandma, asshole, grandpa, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. And I did not think that went well for him. But. No. I don't know. Uh, I'll go with uh, good old uh, Saladin on that one. <laughs> he, he might he might have said that. We don't know. Uh, this question if it's wrong. This is you're, attributed you're, to you're going to kill yourself. It's Napoleon. It's Napoleon or something. <laughs> Major General John Reynolds. John oh F. Jesus! Reynolds. Yeah. And last one, the rebels did more in one night than my whole army would have done in a month. Who the fuck said that shit? Obviously someone who likes to put the blame on others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that that sounds about right. Uh I'll, so we had a revolutionary war thing earlier. We were rebels in that. Um, I'll go with uh, Gentleman John. Gentleman John Burgoyne. Well, no, 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 no. Is the oh yeah? There you go. That I don't know if that's going to be the bright general though. We'll see. William Howe. Close though. No. Damn. Very nice. I'm just going to ride that one point all the way to the end here. We'll see. <laughs> that's that's fair. Hey, it's hey, it's getting recorded. That's all that <laughs> uh, we're, we have the same score, by the way. I, I I would be in the same place. Yeah, these are hard. These are hard. Who or what the fuck am I? I was born in 1821 in a rural rural area of South Carolina. Even at an early age, my father was impressed by my rock-like character and nicknamed me Peter, which stuck with me in different variations for the rest of my life. I was a poor student and had disciplinary problems while attending West Point. Longstreet. <clears throat> and graduated in 1842, <laughs> 54th out of my 56 in my class. My first post was the 4th U.S. Infantry at Jefferson Barracks in Missouri, where I served with my good friend, Ulysses S. Grant. I would guess Longstreet. You sound pretty confident. Dave sounds pretty confident. There's a Missouri connection there. Well, they, called him, they called him Old Pete, I thought. You would think better than me, Dave. Uh, yeah, we'll say long. We'll say Long Street. Yeah, it's it's Long Street. Yeah, perfect. There we go. Because he gives us no fucking actual war stuff. Like <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You got it like halfway in. That was like a Jeopardy 
question. I actually know I was reminded also because I think Nick had called him that in one of the, talking about one of the line of battle games. So I was like, it kind of mm. rang a bell with me. I can hold a crew of eight. My combat weight is 28 tons with armor thickness of, or from six to 12 millimeters. I am armed with two six pound guns and three Hotchkiss machine guns. My first prototype was ready in December 1915 and was nicked, nicknamed Mother. What am I? So, oh man. Is, it, is this a specific name or a general name? Um, I mean, is it like a, na like a proper name? Uh, no. It's like a... <laughs> is it the type of thing it is? Yes. Can I say tank? Is that all I need? I get a little bit more specific. I think you might need to say a type or something. Right, right. It's a type, but it, it's, it, it's not like a, you know, like the sparrow or whatever it was last time. I think they're types. I don't remember. I think they were numbered, maybe. Is it just type one? Is it the first one? I don't know. What do you think? Well, since we don't know any of the types, type one might be a great guess. <laughs> and we don't know how many there were, how many types there were. All right, fuck it. Type one. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to the judge on this one. Uh, it's the Mark one. But I think uh, that means the same thing. Yeah. yeah we're yeah. good on that. We're yeah, good I'll, that. I'll give it to you. It is only the second correct answer. So, well, third. It's third, <laughs> third answer. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, we're grading yeah. at a curve here. Yeah, I don't think anyone at the bottom of the bucket is going to be complaining. <laughs> I wanted to like give like an Iron Man hint or something. It's not going to pull them out of relegation, so no, I think true. it's going to be fine. <laughs> I was born in 1730 in Magdeburg, Kingdom of Prussia. I joined the Prussian army at the age of 17 and served as second lieutenant during the Seven Years' War, and was wounded at the Battle of Prague in 1757, and again at Kunersdorf in 1759, eventually serving as aide-de-camp to Frederick the Great. After the Seven Years' War ended, I was unemployed and in dire straits financially, when I was introduced to a young colonial American diplomat in 1777, Benjamin Franklin. Mr. Franklin offered me a job in the Continental Army. Who am I? Do you know this one, Paul? I would get this one correct. <laughs> that makes nope. me feel so much worse. No pressure. If, if you don't know it, Paul, I know it. So, uh, I yeah, do not. I do not know that. Von Steuben. Mm -hmm. There we go. So we're two and two here. <laughs> and that's 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 a, that's a really romantic glossed over yeah, uh, resume for him. <laughs> <A little> <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> he, was, he was a bit of a scoundrel. That's why uh, he knew Franklin, right? I mean, <laughs> I was developed in 1860 by an American designer and was known as the first military repeater rifle. Two hundred thousand round. Or sorry, <clears throat> two hundred thousand examples of my model were produced from eighteen sixty to eighteen sixty nine. What am I? Uh, Paul, 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 what are yeah. you, What are your strong areas for military <laughs> history? Apparently, apparently, uh, train games would be. No armored train questions. <laughs> uh, Spencer, is it Spencer? 
Spencer it repeating is. rifle. It is. It is indeed. Good job. I'm coming back. I could feel. I could feel a second. Run a roll. <laughs> run a roll. <laughs> you're, you're four for five for this question. I was born in 1742 in Rhode Island to a family of Quakers, whom were descendant were descended from originally founding settlers of the original Warwick, Rhode Island colony. Though my father's Quaker sect discouraged "quote unquote" or "quote" literary accomplishments, I guess end quote. I educated myself with a special study in mathematics, <clears throat> mathematics and law. I was elected to the Rhode Island General Assembly in 1770. In August 1774, I organized a local militia known as the Kenish Ken, Guards. In, 1775, in May 1775, I was promoted to Brigadier General by the Continental Congress and assigned command of the city of Boston in March 1776. Who am I? Oh man. Uh... Yeah, I don't know it for sure, but I'd like to guess it after <laughs> we get after we get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the confidence, Dave. I don't want to hurt Paul, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm here uh, to help. We're here to help, Paul. We're here to help. Oh man. I I I'm gonna I said Benedict Arnold earlier, so I'll say him again. Benedict Arnold. Okay. Dave, what was your guess? I would have guessed Gage. Nathaniel Green. Oh, it's green. I knew it was there was another one, but <laughs> one of the G's. Yeah, I mix I mix the guys up. At least you know the guys. I'm sure that I know two American Revolutionary War generals. That's, that's all you need. Yeah, you're very focused on Benedict Arnold tonight. <laughs> Did you have eggs Benedict at the hotel? <laughs> that's for breakfast. Dave, what time is it? Oh, this is the bonus time. So this is these are bonus questions. So yeah, they basically they count extra because they're bonus, right, Jason? They're bonus. They're bonus. So. <laughs> You know, you might as well do them because we're going to ask you these questions anyway. <laughs> so you might as well get them right. There's no stopping us at this point. The I bonus think is already, going to happen. I've embarrassed myself enough, so what, what the hell? They can only help you at this point and also hurt <laughs> and, your score. And work hurt you. If you get them wrong. That's right. <laughs> they and can these, only hurt or help. These are all things I'm going to have to put into the in, into the chat window because these are, these are brutal. Oh, perfect. So we're clear on the bonus, right, Paul? You know what your <laughs> options are? Yeah, I think I know what my options are. Battle of Bakula? Basula? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus. Paul? Yeah. What that's... am I What am I supposed to say? Like am I saying the war? Yeah, so oh sorry. Okay. I should I should say what, what this is. <laughs> the, the name of the question. I got I knew, distracted I knew, by I knew not being able doing. to pronounce this. I knew what you're doing. Which yeah. motherfucking war is it? Name the war <laughs> or conflict each listed battle is associated with. The Battle of Bakula? Basula? How would you say that, Dave? Uh, geez, I'm not the guy to go to for that. Yeah. But I guess Bakula? 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 Yeah. Uh... We need Professor Paul on to, to go through these with me. Yeah. yeah, Paul would say it doesn't matter how you pronounce it. It's a dead language. <laughs> it's a dead language, <laughs> and then would correct me. Uh, I'll say uh, the uh, you don't, you have any idea, Dave? No idea. I'll say the, the the Roman Civil War. 
the Second Punic War. Uh, yeah, no idea. The Battle of Iconium. Iconium? It's a precious metal. Iconium. <laughs> That's uh, unobtainium. Which which mother? Oh, that's the one I think. Yeah. Uh, Iconium. Fuck. Uh, it sounds ancient, right? It's got yes. an ancient vibe to it. Yeah, it's got the eum at the end. So, <laughs> a first Punic War. <laughs> oh, nice! I like how you did that. That was good. <laughs> I, mean, I think he never would he wouldn't dare to ask another question about the Punic Wars. I'm just going to give a little hint. These are these are in chronological. What? Actually, no. I take that back. They're not in chronological order. Thanks. Thanks for the hint, Jason. That was great. I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm just trying to help. Um, the Third Crusade. Oh man. Yeah, that's that's rough. The Battle of Kirchholm. Kirsch, Kirschholm? Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Okay. Uh, okay. I, got, I got nothing on that one. Sounds, sounds so, like it's in Germany. Sounds German. Uh. Let's, let's think about battle <laughs> wars that were fought in Germany. <laughs> After the Third Crusade. Yeah, and like, yeah, right. And, and think about it. It's probably not World War II because that would just be too easy for Braxton to give that to us. So it's, it's probably some... Jesus... I don't. I don't recognize it from the Seven Years' War. I go. Uh, I mean, I like. I like the the Years' War thing. Yeah, I think we yeah, can I think do we're a, on the right track there. We can um, do the. What about thirty? That, about I think 30 that's a war. that's an excellent guess. That's what I would guess. That is an excellent guess. Uh, it's the Polish Swedish War. Oh, oh 1600, that was, that was, 1600 to sixteen eleven. That was my second guess. You know, like, <laughs> it was right there. The Swede was going crazy <laughs> on Nick, that. One. Nick was screaming at the. <laughs> they taught us about this in school. I mean, does that really count as a war? Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, more of a police action. This one sounds like a Flaming Lips song. Oh, okay, okay. I got I, this one. Yeah, Battle okay, of good. Tsushima. I get this the one too. Russo-Japanese yeah. War. Yeah, indeed. Correct. That's, right. That's correct. I'm back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> Ones of questions, correct. <laughs> so, so like late eighteenth, late late nineteenth century, very early twentieth century is your that's your zone. That's, <laughs> that's fifteen fair. years. Uh, the Battle of Masurian Lakes. Uh, uh, World War One. Very nice. That's a good guess. Yeah. Yeah. Eastern Front, World War One. Yeah, I got I kind of got my ass kicked in Paz of Glory. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sounded familiar. By my count, that's seven. That's not bad. Hey, I'll take it. You're you're a an, an ace at the who or what am I? <laughs> well, you know, I was an yeah. ace at I think one of them, and Dave. Well, that's three. <laughs> no, I mean, I did not. That was not a good run for me either. So that was that, those were very hard. There, I think they are getting harder, or at least they're well, inconsistent. It's it's getting more obscure, right? I mean, he could probably start pulling stuff from the early quizzes, and everybody's forgotten by now. Well, yeah, I mean, you can only put so much knowledge in your... I'm sure nobody remembers all the questions, so... 
Oh man. Well, well, thanks for bearing with me. That was, that was a pretty rough there. That was a good effort. <laughs> so Jason, are you doing war games now? What are you doing for war gaming? <laughs> I'm playing Liberty or death. Like I mentioned earlier. That's right. We heard about that one. Uh huh. Yeah. No, Play- no solo stuff. I'm, um, so, <laughs> so I bought a game and, uh, in it for, to, to review, um, it looked amazing. It, it three weeks after I bought it, I hadn't received shipping notice, so I emailed the company and said, "Hey, I haven't heard anything. Did this game ever ship?" Um, and I was looking for it last weekend because <coughs> I had some. I was supposed to have some free time, and they emailed me back, "Well, no." So I canceled it, and then three days later, got a shipping notification. But it still isn't active, so I think they did end up canceling it. So I got a refund. Um, but but no, I haven't been playing any war games, um, even on the slow table. I my weekends are um, kids and baseboards right now. And and, and and work time is RPGs. No, that's at night. <laughs> that's that's late at night. <laughs> yeah, that's that that is true. For some reason, like, yeah, for some reason, I, I don't get on Vassal and play, but I'll stay up until 1.30 in the morning playing a, a role-playing game. So I will say, speak of the work thing, speaking, so one nice thing about, I play some train games by email, and, and of course there's spreadsheets involved. So the nice thing is, nice. you do that at work, yeah. it's very discreet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just look like I'm really puzzling over a model or something, and it's like, no, just, just playing train games. <laughs> just... But even if they, they they would think you're doing stocks, maybe at the bat, they would think like you're looking at your investments, probably or something <laughs> like that. How about yeah, you, I, I mean, well, I, on in, I, my Steam account, I've been getting addicted to a game called Space Tyrant, which is what is that? It's a uh, it, it's a game where you you basically are an evil tyrant in space, and you do evil things yeah. to people, and you oppress planets, and. <laughs> Uh, they they can revolt and try to throw you out, or it'll, do, you'll, it'll give you uh, like when you conquer a planet, it might say like your guys have found a uh, an alien life form that's trying to request an audience with you, and you can say like throw it into the pain booth, or execute it in front of everyone, or try to make friends with it, and then it'll give you. It, it's very funny, like the way it's a little cartoony, but it you basically fight a bunch of space battles and you jump from planet to planet trying to conquer the stuff. It's it's a little bit campy, which is cool, but man, it's a complete time suck for me. That's <laughs> do you play like on the couch or do you go sit at the desk and, and play yeah, on yeah, a piece? I play it. I play it on my my Mac. So okay. I have to go into the room and play it. And it's been fun though. It's and it's like was fifteen bucks or fourteen bucks or something. Nice. So. But check it out, Space Tyrant. It's uh, addictive. Very Guilt addictive. Bump. Yeah, that's right. I'm doing a Shield of Chom with Pete. We've gotten right. back into our hassle, and we've been playing that through the winter. The Soviets' winter attack on. Uh, Chom and Pete's machine guns are just fucking shredding. My poor Russians are trying to run through deep snow. It's like that scene out of like Christmas story, like when snow, the guy in the snow suit, like because it costs them like an extra half movement point to move through, through each hex side. And my conscripts are, are already moved slower than anybody else. So, uh, but it's been, it's been fun. His machine gun broke. He had a machine gun, heavy machine gun in like a steeple, and it broke. And I was thrilled for like two turns, and then he fixed it. Now he's just been fucking blasting the shit out of me again. 
Is that is that an MMP one or is that somebody else? No, that's uh, Bounding Fire Productions. Ah, okay. Yeah, they make really good third-party uh, ASL products. So, well, and the funny thing about ASL is, Jason, this would appeal to you probably. Um, organizing your ASL stuff is a hobby all into itself. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Like, I've got binders, and I, I put little spine uh, labels down. I had to tuck the spine labels down in them to keep track of all my which scenarios are in which binders. And I've got like all my uh, extra map sheets from my things are in. I got the bigger uh, like plastic holders in the binders, like they're almost like big plastic envelopes with with. Uh, uh, Velcro on them, so I drop all the stuff down in there, and I've got all the Plano boxes. I, the basically, it's like uh, they're like for fishing, like lure mm -hmm. boxes, mm -hmm. and you use them to organize all your little chits, and it's fucking ridiculous. Do you, you have you like a little P-touch labeler, and you label each each bin, or do you just know what's in what? No, you can get. Of course, this is, <laughs> you can find these that people have made eight by fourteen spreadsheet, like kind of like spreadsheets oh, with yeah. pictures. Where you can then put them on the top lid, so when you flip it up, it it, nice. it lines up with all the boxes yeah. in that particular Plano account box, so you can kind of drop all the guys. And it even tells you, hey, when this unit gets uh, substituted or when it loses, it goes down to this type of guy. Or so, it, it's dude, it's fucking yeah. I was there's a Houston ASL group, and there's a website against Texas ASL. Oh yeah, or something. Yeah, that's where I got yeah. them from. Yeah, was, so they they organized the game day there, and one time I was signing up. And I went, there's like an organizers or whatever. And it was like, oh, if you have Planos, here's 40 different <laughs> schemes oh, yeah. you could use to organize stuff. It's and crazy. It's this other counter storage thing. Here's another 20. It's crazy. I, I've got all my scenarios and in, in, uh, sheet protectors in the bind. It's like fucking like half the money I've spent has probably been on all the stuff to organize all the ASL stuff. It's a game in itself. And I've been getting back into Musket and Pike. The Musket and Pike series, uh, which yeah. is fun. So I, I played a game with Braxton, which I have to finish up. And now Ralph and I are doing Musket and Pike after we finished up Dragon Pass, which I don't think I will ever play again. <laughs> no? It's, it, I, I don't know if I talked about it last time, but basically it's like there's, there is tactics to the game. And basically like wizards are almost like artillery and you have cavalry, but you have all these superheroes. So you, you go through all this combat and trying to be very tactical about it. But then there's like 34 different superhero or special units that can just destroy everything in a hex. Hmm. Yeah. So you're basically trying to figure out which of those destroy everything units the other guy has and which ones you have and trying to cancel them out. Like if I can get this, it's just like dragons will basically, if a dragon lands next to enemy, it dies and then it kills every single unit and every hex around it adjacent to it. So, so you're like, do I stack? Do I not stack? Like I don't want to stack. It's uh it's it there's a lot going on <laughs> showing its age a little bit yeah it's like i don't know how many people actually you would have to play it a lot to really learn what all the different like he has a, he had a unit he has a guy who has a unit called the hound and when he releases the hound the hound goes like yip, 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 and runs in a, a hex line all the way across the map and destroys every single unit that it goes through wow <laughs> except if it goes within three hexes of a character called Keener Thon. Oh, Jesus. And Keener Thon <laughs> will grab the hound and then begin riding the hound. What? And like, 
And the idea is that character went to hell or some of the underworld and rescued Keener Thon and came out with the hound, but then he betrayed Keener Thon betrayed him. So whatever. It's like so in the end, I basically smoked the Lunar Empire with all my super weapon people. And then uh at the end, I, I, Ralph had retreated back into the Lunar Empire, and now my guys were starting to chase him. And just as I was starting to get into the Lunar Empire, he, one of his characters has like a cloak of darkness that he activated, and it made like a 12 hex radius, like sh shadows that I have to stop upon entering for that turn. So that ended the game because I couldn't go into it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, that was it. And the other problem with the game, the combat system in that game is basically if you're attacking, uh, you roll a 1d6. You add up all your attacking guy's strength, you roll a 1d6, and based on what results you get, that it's one-sixth per pip of your combat strength you do as damage to the other guy. So if you have like uh, 48 guys and you roll a 1, you're only going to do 8 points of damage to the guy. But his guys, when they counterattack, their combat strength is then doubled. So... <laughs> Because they're like, counterattacking or because you rolled a one? Because, yeah, it's like a counterattack. And the idea okay. is that ideally you're supposed to kill some of them off in your initial attack, but not if you roll a fucking oh, right. one. So my 48 would attack his 30. Uh, I would roll like a one. I would kill one of his guys. And then he would have like 24 back, doubled 40. He'd roll a six and kill all my guys. <laughs> so I'm like, well, that that worked really well. Like, yeah, that's funny. It's too swingy. The combat is just very a couple of bad die rolls can completely fucking hose you and that happened to me on a siege he basically i was trying to, to assault his fortress and his guys killed every single guy in my assaulting army basically so so i think in the end we were just trying to finish it yeah yeah you know and just get it over with but th but that's okay because you're moving chips on a on a board it's, yeah it's <laughs> Well, Fantasy role-playing isn't okay. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that was annoying was the, the module we used had no zoom feature, oh which was really annoying. So you had to like be zoomed in all the time. And uh, also, each of the wizards has a spirit that's attached to them. A more modern version of the module allows you to right-click to send the spirit away and then to summon it. In the in this version and in the physical game, you actually have to find, flip the guy over, <laughs> figure out which wizard he is, then go find his spirit in the spirit area and bring it out. And so that would get fucking super tedious after a while. <laughs> so we finished Dragon Pass. And I'm I'm not I'm never gonna sell it. I'm very happy that I have it, but uh we will know. And we didn't even play the long campaign. We played like the regular campaign. There's like a one that's even longer. Wow. And what else? I think that's it. Oh, I messed around with Molwitz more, uh, Battle Battles of the Age of Reason. Um, I like it. I, I, you know, my initial impressions were not. I, I kind of liked it, but I wasn't too sure about it. Uh, basically, it's completely different from Labatai, even though they come from the same company. And the counters. The only similarity is basically that the counters look the same. You know, like uh, it's two colored for pants and shirts, and they have a movement and a combat strength. Otherwise, the two games couldn't be more different. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, Labatai is a chip pull game. This one is like an alternate activation type game. Uh, so but I, I like it. I mean, I think my- It's my, grown on you, it's the last review. Yeah, my concerns were that the opportunity fire lets you fire every time you moved into a hex. Uh, it does that still, but 
the, you know, when you're rolling opportunity fire, it's much more difficult to actually get effective hits on the other guys. So while you're rolling a bunch of dice, they aren't always very effective, which might annoy some people because it feels like you're rolling a lot to little effect. But I mean, you could really just roll. And if you don't get over like an 85 or something, uh, and you know, it uses decimal dice, uh, Labatai uses base six, uh, six siders. Uh, there's, there's just a ton of differences. One of the weird things about it is that you normally want really high rolls to get good results, but if you get a low roll, that's like a zero and something else, then special things can happen. Sometimes they're bad, like, but sometimes they're good and they vary from side to side. So like if the Prussians get a zero six, they might get like a double effective fire while the Austrians, if they get a zero six might be like, you're low on ammo and you have to take a morale check or something like that. So it's weird because your opponent can roll a zero something and you're like, oh, sweet, that's a really low roll. But then you're like, oh, shit, we got to check the fucking special results table now. And there's just for, for almost everything that you roll dice for, there's a special results table to see what it could mean something good or something bad. So if you don't know until you look it up. But I think it, I think it's interesting. So I, I, I'm not uh, not liking it. Um, I just need to play it somewhere. And I think uh, Mitch and I are going to play it at Swolcon. So nice, and which we will soon be releasing a T-shirt nice. for. This whole kind. yeah, I need to I need to get on that. So those are the big ones. I got at any cost Mets, but that's going to be my review. So I'm not oh. going to talk about that. Uh, okay, okay. So. I was going to ask you about it, but I don't want to rush things along here. Yeah. So Paul, uh, you playing any RPGs? Doing any RPG? Because this uh, is an RPG podcast. <laughs> hey, I didn't get to talk about my RPGs. You're going to talk about this is the RPG section. <laughs> Uh, so I, I played uh, Quiet Year with Jason and Rex. That was a while ago. All right, so a, what is the deal with that game? Because you guys have been playing it, so explain kind of how the game works to me. Because I saw there's like a sheet where you draw like a map on it or something. Paul, do you want to give that a go? Well, yeah, sure. I'll try it, and then and then Jason can back clean up here because he just played it. Um, so basically, there's there's a deck of cards, right, you're drawing out of. And the deck is the same every game. But like at the beginning of the game, I think you do a little setup with the map, so you can kind of say like each person takes a turn and says like, "Oh, you know, I think we're in a city," and then somebody else will add something else. Um, and the way it works is like the, the the thing I thought was cool is basically there's no table talk by default. Like you can't say anything to anybody else, so you just kind of have to do what you think you should do, and and nobody can argue with you. Wow, but this then, is definitely a game made for nerds. <laughs> there's going to be yeah, no conflict, yeah, not a lot of talking with each other. Yeah, it was like high school. It was great. And then uh, we had a <laughs> uh, – but you can spend your action. Instead of like actually doing something, you can you can talk around the table. But it doesn't act, there's no like binding effect yeah, or no anything. It's just kind of like – you're just kind of like, hey, guys, like this is what I think we should do. And then that's that's all it is. So it's it's a really – Weird what, game. What, what resolves the actions? Is there are there rules besides you can't talk to each other? Um, yeah. So each card kind of gives you typically two options of something that. So the idea of the game is you're you're drawing a map of your community. So it's kind of post-apocalyptic. Um, so you you set up that initial setup like Paul was talking about, and then you you draw cards um, and you you. You don't work with the whole deck at one time. Um, each suit is a season, um, and each card represents a week in that season. So you 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 flip a card up, you read the text, and it, it's going to typically give you 
two actions or two things to do or two options of here's something that happened and then you can do something in the community or you can have that discussion um but you, but it's basically it's 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 about telling a story and drawing a map out of it so you're not like role playing a character you're not um, and there's no winning or losing or mm-mm. you you basically lose at the end when the game ends, something comes and kills your community, basically, theoretically. But you can't survive it. Yeah, I guess the the one um, Pete, Duck, and Gersh and I played on Tuesday. I I think we said we we won, um, or or we survived, um, just because of the way it ended. Um, but it, it it doesn't really say. It's very open ended and very just kind of. It's it's more of an experience kind of game rather than like a traditional role playing game, <clears throat> but it's fun. It's it sh- it doesn't make any sense that it should be as engaging and and fun as yeah. it is. Well, obviously the key is who you play it with, right? So right. it's going to be exactly yeah yeah yeah. I, I was I didn't know anything about it really when Jason posted on that geek list. I just heard somebody talking about it, um, and and I I really enjoyed it. Like I didn't know anything about the game. I kind of read the rules, not really. And it was it's a it's a fun little game. I liked it. But I mean, you don't want to play safe. with a guy who you don't want to play with a guy who's like, I'm gonna build a two car garage. Right. <laughs> right. It has to be kind of a, a bigger bigger story. But the so, rules if you buy it physically are basically the notebook I carry in my back pocket. That's the size of the rules. Less less sweat though. <laughs> well, I mean, depending on if you carry it for three that's, years that's in your true. back pocket. I guess it, it's more, that's right. It's not in, the notebook's fault. In the Arizona fault. summer. <laughs> it's not the notebook's fault. And the other thing the other thing that didn't get mentioned is there the, the only way you can communicate is there's these uh, chits. They're, I think, what is it? Contempt tokens? Contempt, yeah. Yeah. So, like, if, if somebody does something you don't like, you can just silently take one of those things. So, wow. So which, is a, a, which is a fun, yeah. Yeah, super passive-aggressive, but it was it was fun. I like that. Yeah, this sounds like this would have been played in the smoking area at my high school. <laughs> <laughs> and the library at mine. All right, Jason, so besides uh, The Quiet Year, what else have you been playing RPG-wise? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, unless Paul, unless you had something else oh, yeah. for RPGs. No, well, and I'm doing one of those uh, those Dungeon Call classics uh, with, with Rex. I think oh, the Saturday. funnel? The whole yes. funnel thing? Yeah. That'll be fun. Rex seems like he's found his uh, GM. He's vibe. a good GM, yeah. Yeah, that that DCC is a fun game. Yeah, and that's another one I I know nothing about going in, but I'm good. hoping the funnel yeah. format is good for that, and yeah, everybody it's, dies. And it's perfect for that. Yeah. So doing Gamma World with with uh, Pete, Dave, uh, Duck, and Samer. Which has been a blast. I think and we have, we don't know the rules at all. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, 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 I haven't the designer gone, knew the rules. I haven't gone past page two in the rule book. Yeah, they're pretty rough. But I think we're drawing to an end of that of that campaign. It's been fun though. Yeah, I don't want to give away any spoilers. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, do you know the module? The what that we're using? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is is it a module or did he do it? Himself? I thought he designed it himself. I think it's I think it's a mishmash. I stumbled across something that I, I maybe shouldn't have. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't help. 
I didn't, didn't read help it. at all. As, as, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, no. Oh, and, and Jason uh, did his uh, Arizona time zone thing again. Oh. He didn't show up for the first hour. <laughs> Every year. And it's, it's, my, it's, it's my phone's fault because I put it in at the right time, but it didn't adjust the time forward for me. Yeah, because we're like, they're like, maybe Jason's got something. I'm like, um, he's like emailing me now. Like he's sending me emails, like nothing's going on. Like I was like, and you called it. You said, maybe it's a time zone thing. Hey. Yeah. Gamma world's been good. Again, I have yet to roll my hit points. So I know when, that's so funny. When we're playing, it's just kind of like, it's mostly just role playing, which I think really for us, I don't think it matters really what the system is. Yeah. You know? We get so into like being weird characters that, that that's the point. <laughs> and we're good at it. Yeah, that's it's that's one of the I don't listen to many of the RPGs, but I've listened to that one. It's it's a uh, very entertaining. Yeah, so <laughs> so we have a, a sister uh, podcast that we, we put a kind of the what's it, the alcoholic adventurers cabal. Mm-hmm. So and it's funny, every time I search for it, it goes, uh, great podcasts about alcoholism <laughs> or alcoholism. <laughs> it does Yeah. I, I blame B mode. Yeah, he, he came up with that title. And what, you're doing some of the cyberpunk type ones too. Yeah, so I'm running Mirror Shades with Pete, Leroy, and Campbell, um, which was supposed to be like a one or two session, and I think we're we're almost on. I think next week is four or five, but it's been it's gone in places I had no idea it would go, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and then when that's done, we'll we'll get uh, tech. Technoir on the table. Yes, that's cool. And uh, and then in uh, Rex's Numenera game, which has been a blast. We're in uh, in one of those published modules, but he's kind of taken it sideways for us, which is which has been cool. Have you read that module also? Um, no, but as soon as he started talking about it, I knew, I know enough about the game um, that as soon as he kind of took us to this place, I was like, oh, okay, we're we're doing this, so I'm not going to read it. Okay. Yeah, I, I've been uh, getting our GURPS adventure I'm ready. So excited. Campaign for that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's a Wild West campaign. It's kind of like maybe Dark Tower meets a Wild West ish place. And uh, so just going through GURPS, it's like I kind of to make sure that I just even to get the sheet, the cheat sheet ready that I sent to you guys, uh, I basically had to force myself to sit down and like actually learn all of the fucking rules for how the combat <laughs> system works. There's a lot in there. Yeah, there is. And and then I knew I was going too far when I then printed out all those maneuver cards and put them in <laughs> card detectors and because that actually makes it a lot easier if you can choose a maneuver and put the card down in front of you that tells you exactly what you can do when you like, okay, I, I can't move on this maneuver. I can only step one hat, one space. But my question was for rule 20, do they have like all those uh, maps and stuff on there? Or am I going to have to make maps? You can import images. Um, so like if you have even a PDF, you can um, you can import the PDF and it will only do one page at a time, but you can tell it which page. And then it's basically it converts it to like a JPEG and you can you can put it on the screen. Um, yeah, so I'm, I think that group is going to be you, Duck, Jack, Pete, and Samer. So nice. that's going to be the group for that one. And basically you're you're on a small farm and you've never left the farm or the, or the ranch, you know, kind of a complex and uh, a rider comes in and talks to your father and your father leaves for Tejon city. 
and then he never comes back. And so finally your mother decides that you boys are going to have to go to Tejon City and find out what happened to your dad. I dig it. So My character's all you, done. It's in the that's Dropbox. All you know. You've never been out in the wild world, so this is your first time venturing out. I like that as a premise. Yeah, so, and so for you guys, you don't even really need to worry about the pistol skills. Those are going to be – you're going to gain those skills, but uh, – just personality type stuff. That's all the points you need to spend as far as quirks or uh, maybe things you might have picked up around the farm or stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, but the GURPS, man, you know, going through the stuff, I was just like blown away because as you really start to learn the system, um, you realize that like uh, you can really use it for anything. <laughs> yeah, I know that's every time I read it because there's a lot of rules in there, but they all make sense. But it is like, oh, yeah, I could. Oh yeah, you could do that. Duck, Duck's joke is is accurate. Like when I was looking at it, I was trying to figure out because the the Wild West rules are actually very detailed. Um, they get in, really into six shooters. So like for gunfighting, like whether you're going to fan your pistol, mm -hmm. that gun gonna, book is good, or whether you're going to thumb your pistol. Uh, so, but they even get into reloading it. Where like. Your your revolver is empty. Your six shooter is empty. You got to spend one action to open the chamber, one action to pull it out and put another round in. And like depending on what kind of revolver you have, you can either pop all the rounds out at once, or you have to pull a round out and put a round in. So you might be in the middle of gunfight, <laughs> and you're like, I only have time to put two rounds in, wow. and then I got to get back into the fight. So you wow. can't shoot indiscriminately because you. I'm keeping track of your rounds. You'll be like, I shoot, and I'm like, click. <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> but but the way the system worked is it's kind of cool. I started to figure it out because like your pistol skill might be 16 and it's you can learn fanning. But you automatically if you you automatically can fan, but your fanning is always your pistol skill minus four. So if you wanted to fan, which means you can shoot more shots, you are 16, you're 12. But you can learn fanning, spend points later on to learn fanning, to increase it from that default skill to 13, 14. So you can eventually get to the point where you fan just as well as you shoot the pistol. So by, should I take by, should I take thumbing off my character sheet? I don't yeah, know that yet. You, you, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, you, you don't need thumbing, fanning, or pistol. Those those skills will be the, – the skill I put on the top of the sheet, those are the ones you, you're going to start with. Okay. But the key with Wild West is don't fucking stand still. <laughs> because you will get killed like you the reason you're a good shot is because you can move and hit things i mean a good pistol shooter can walk and hit a target uh, an average pistol shooter can't they'll miss at 20 yards there's no way they're going to hit a uh, even a stationary target if they're walking diagonally trying to shoot a pistol so 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 this is not to kind of lean in on my bad quiz performance but i don't know anything about gurps is there like a generic GURPS rules or are all the there modules is. just their own things? There's a basic set that's uh, – it's two books. The, it, it, now they have – they basically – they had third edition and they made a ton – Here's this is the problem with GURPS. They, they made a ton of books for GURPS third edition. Like like So basically you would get the basic set and then you could get the ones – you could get Cyberpunk and then you could play Cyberpunk Adventures or you could get uh, Discworld. And then you can play Discworld with it. Um, so they made the fourth edition rules, but they haven't come out with a bunch of source books for fourth edition yet, just a few. Gotcha. So, but you can play fantasy uh, fourth edition GURPS. You know, you can, I can take 
Jason's cowboy, give him a sword and a shield, and he, he can then be so it's really cool for like time traveler type adventures, mm-hmm. you know, where you're thrown into ancient Rome or, you know, because they can you can they can jump the same characters. I mean, you won't have the skills. You have to default on a lot of skills. But so it, you base you buy the basic books and then you, you would get uh, you might if you're going to do fantasy, they have a fantasy book and then they have a, a magic book. But the magic mm-hmm. book isn't just for fantasy. It's also like if you wanted to do like a modern day, uh, like modern or even like wizard. Cthulhu or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It helps that gotcha. the magic book because it helps you with that stuff. So it's 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 a really cool system. But it really is universal. Like you could you could literally do anything with it. It's it's really interesting. yeah. There's there's a game store here, which is their prices are they're super expensive and the service is not great. But they have a ton of stuff. And one time I was just killing time in there. And I found they had like a box of GURP stuff underneath a shelf somewhere. And I was just flipping through looking at covers. And it was crazy. There were like, I don't know how many, probably like 100 things in there. It was nuts. Oh, and in and the books, a lot of the backgrounds just really good. Like I think there's a Conan one. There's a whole bunch of different ones you can get. And they, they're fun to read through because they really, like the Wild West one, gives you a ton of history about the Wild West. It gives you examples of like, here's Wild Bill Hickok. And they do all the stats for Wild Bill Hickok. You know, they, there's a ton of shit in there. And the the GURPS Ogre book is fascinating. Yeah. Because it gives all that fake history. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, GURPS is pretty cool. So um, I feel very comfortable now because I was kind of like, hey, if I'm going to GM it, I don't know how Duck uh, GM'd it <laughs> while drinking because, like, I don't know if you can do that. I mean, it's it's it can be complex. But I kind of told my daughter some of the uh, – encounters we were talking about and she was like oh that sounds really like just my daughter was like kind of interested so that was kind of funny that's awesome yeah and you played you play D D with your kids right Dave? well well we've been trying to play it <laughs> but my, my oldest explained to me um pretty clearly she doesn't like to lose at anything yeah. so she is she wants to play but she just doesn't want like we enjoy the fact that there's negative consequences you know that's what makes sure. it exciting they don't want to play like that gotcha they they want to have the adventure they don't want to have any kind of they don't like missing they don't so you kind of <laughs> you kind of have to be like aware that that they it's the important thing is for them to have fun, you know? And they, so they want to tell a story. They don't want to lose. Yeah, they don't like the dice. They, you know, they just don't like those things. They might be interested in some of the diceless stuff, you know, but it might be too complicated. Some of it might be too complicated for them. But Yeah. I was super excited. My son last week said, Oh, you know, his birthday party is tomorrow night. Like, Oh, I want to play D and D. Like, okay. You know, we tried this last time with this big group and two guys weren't into it and it killed it for everybody. Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, yeah, we're sure. Like, okay, so I started writing a little a small dungeon. I thought, you know, the starter set's good, but I'm going to have them create their own characters. That should draw them in a little bit more. They're a little bit more invested. And then we'll just do like a little eight-room dungeon, something like that. Yeah, but they've got that's already in the starter set. You could pull out one of the dungeons that's already in there. Yeah, but but those are later in the module, oh. and and they're kind of you know like level three by that point I think theoretically. So this is like a level one, almost like a DCC funnel. But um, and the I other, was kind of the other hoping to kill is, some of them. Yeah, they don't care if uh, it's, if they're overpowered. They want to no, be OP. They, That's the right, other thing I do. realized. <laughs> you know, they want to be OP. But she was writing up like a sword. She had ideas for a magic sword she wanted. So I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you have magic swords, you know. But yeah, they. Uh, 
so it's been interesting uh, running them through since I actually got the uh, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, which is an old UK nice. adventure. And uh, it's funny because the guy's <laughs> like, it shows you how little work they used to do on some of these where he's like, oh, by the way, there's a town salt marsh. So you're going to need to like have flesh out the entire town and the city council <laughs> if you want this to be a good adventure. I'm like, wow, wait a lot. So basically my, my trick is I just name the characters after people I know. So like the city council is all like, Jason, you're the mayor. Uh, Duck Sweet. is like one of the merchants. So that way I can remember and I just act out the characters <laughs> the way the people I know are. Like, <laughs> like I use neighbors. If I have to come up with a name, I'll grab somebody I know and make them a character. And that way I can just write down that person. And then I just imitate that person <laughs> when that thing happens. That's so, a good trick. But another funny thing is in the old modules, they always had pictures like on the front cover and the back cover. Unfortunately, the pictures like the whole point of Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh is they're supposed to be the secret. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, but my daughter looks on the back and there's a picture of them fighting on a ship. So she turns to me and goes, oh, great. I guess I know everything's going to happen in another adventure now. I was like, that is really smart. Good for you. You figured out one of the big problems with old D&D products. <laughs> yeah, the, the players aren't supposed to see that stuff. Yeah, they'd show you a picture of like an eye of the beholder springing out of a chest attacking the party. And then the party comes upon this chest. And they're like, oh, I'm not fucking holding that chest. They're, sure staring, they're staring right at the fucking picture on their fucking DM screen. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so she figured out that aspect of it pretty quick. All right, so I'm going to talk about why I'm not drinking right now. Because this might be a good That's, lesson. So I might tear up because I, I got a little this, concerned. This is only temporary, so everyone pull. I should have told everyone to pull over, pull their cars over before I said it. But <laughs> I, I, uh, I was at work, and my legs started kind of hurting me. Like it was like sore, almost like I pulled a muscle or something in my leg, like my calf. I was like, "Oh man, I'm." And so it didn't really go away, and it started getting a little worse. And then, like I was at the gym, and I looked, and I talked to my buddy. I'm like, "Is one of my legs like a little bigger than the other, like my calf?" And he's like, "I don't really notice it. It's so." So I figured, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's gout, my gout, like I'm having a gout attack or something. So I got home after a day or two and uh, I looked at it. And my wife is like, no, it's like noticeably swollen. And my calf was like really tight. And uh, I, uh, so I call up one of my buddies who has gout. And he's like, well, is it in your ankle or your knee? And I'm like, oh, it's like in my calf. He's like, dude, that's not fucking gout. Like you need to fucking go. So I went to urgent care and uh they got me an ultrasound. And so that, you know, the guy's doing the ultrasound on you and like, they never want to tell you the ultrasound guys never want to tell you anything, but I knew something might be wrong when he's like, so this hasn't bothered you before. And he kept asking me questions <laughs> like that. I'm like, no, I'm fine. So the doctor comes in and she's this urgent care doctor, but she's an older Indian woman. And she, I don't know if you have ever seen that show master of none. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like the mom, the guy's mom, okay. the master of none, <laughs> like an inscrutable, Indian, older Indian woman, no sense of humor, no emotion whatsoever. So you don't know where you stand with them at all. And she's like, oh, I have bad news. This is bad. I'm like, uh, she's like, you have a blood clot in your leg. So I had a blood clot in my calf. And uh, I'm like, okay. She's like, here's some pills. Go see your primary care provider as soon as possible. I'm like, Oh, fuck. I'm like, that's all you're gonna so, so I'm like, I'm like, is this gonna like, uh, like 
be bad or is this gonna like so then of course you start like googling shit and you start like like so then i'm like fuck let's because if you're telling me there's a clot in my leg and it's gonna like give me a heart attack let's fucking cut that shit off let's amputate <laughs> <laughs> that motherfucker <laughs> it's like you're, you're almost you're like you were telling me like hey there's a bomb in your leg so the good news is we know it's there the bad news is we don't know when it's gonna blow up so i went to I, they put me on blood thinners and uh uh, when I talked to my pharmacist, I asked him, I said, Hey, can I, uh, can I drink when I'm taking blood thinners? And he's like, well, he goes, alcohol is a blood thinner also. He goes, so you could like drink, but just don't get carried away. And I'm like, well, then I can't drink. He goes, Basically, that's going to be like, <laughs> so I started thinking, I'm like, he said, maybe, do you know who I am? I'm like, maybe the reason I survived this long is because my blood was like 50% alcohol. You know? so I was able to and justify so, it. So my doctor tells me I'm going to be okay. Uh, I've got a blood clot in my leg, my lower leg. So they've got me on blood thinners. But the problem is when you're on blood thinners, obviously you can't like get cut or uh, hit your head or anything. You got to be careful. So like now I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm taking advantage of it, but if my wife wants me to do something around the house, I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, because I, I could, I'd hate to cut myself. And then, so she's like, oh, fuck it. I'll just do it then. Like, so I'm trying to use it to my advantage. Um, I'm getting a hell of a lot of war gaming done, uh, being dead sober and I'm dipping like a fucking fiend. <laughs> so, well, cause I told her, I said, I gotta have something like, you can't take everything away from me. You know, Yeah, you need advice. The, the, the hardest part is going to be going to, and I can travel because basically my doc base. Oh, so the reason I got it is I was going up to this training in San Francisco, uh, like every month. And uh, I drove for five hours and I didn't get out and walk around at any point. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. That's what caused it. You know, he goes, you, if you travel and you don't walk around like in an airplane or something like that, he goes, you could, that, that's how people get these types of blood clots. So if you do any kind of traveling, make sure you get up and walk around or, or do stuff like that. Because I was like, fuck, I used to drive hours without getting out of the car. But I guess that's something that can happen to you. So we're not as young as we used to be. Yeah. Oh, and but the the other thing is, so I quit drinking, right? So now I'm just basically lifting weights and and eating healthy. Nice. So I'm going for my physical, and my doctor's like, "This is the best we've ever seen." In 50 years. <laughs> he goes, "He's like your cholesterol is like 192." He goes, "You were like 250, 220." Like basically, so I'm like, "Oh man, I should stay on these blood thinners." He's like, "No, no, no, we got to get get me off the blood thinners. You can't stay on the blood thinners." So I'm going to Swolcon and I can just see me at around midnight playing a game with fucking Nick and Jack and fucking uh, Uncle John, totally lit and drunk. I'm going to be like, holy shit. I've, I'm like, this is what Braxton feels like. <laughs> this is Braxton. So you'll still be on them by then? Yeah, they're, they're going to check me out again in like two and a half months. And then I'm on them till mm. September. So but oh, he's, wow. my, my doctor is basically like, yeah, it's going to dissolve. So I can travel because my the doctor was like, you you basically don't clot now, so you're fine. Um, Holy cow, that's crazy. But for gaming, I'm basically uh, probably at ACCon. I'm only going to game with Doctor Bruce and and the scooter, the rescue scooter. So because I need a paramedic there, and I'm going to have to have a doctor <laughs> available at all times. So keep your uh, I like keep, keep your game game schedules open, boys. <laughs> <laughs> you're booked. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna be okay. I'm not like gonna croak or anything. But I was like, oh man, I don't want to be one of those guys that do a BGG announcement on. I don't want to get on a fucking right. coin, dude. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. 
but yeah, so I'll be okay. It's just kind of annoying that, you know, I can't have a cocktail or something if I wanted or a beer, but uh, I've managed to overcome it. So that's our cheerful news for the year. But there you go. Go check, get yourself checked out. No kidding. And it's good you went in because I'm the, I'm the guy like I'm, eh, you know, when it falls well, that, off, yeah. I'll go to the doctor. That's yeah. me. But I, I started to get worried because I'm like, yeah. this is not right. You know, and Especially so then I was like, a couple days. I, I was like, well, urgent care is open till like nine. So fuck it. I'll just go over there, you know, and get it checked out. So it was good. I did, you know, and then you go to go to, so then, but then I have to wait six days to see my primary care provider. So I've been given the bad news by the, uh, emotionless Indian woman. And now I'm just, and each night before I go to bed, I'd be like, Oh, I hope I wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But the second they put me on the blood thinners, the swelling all went down. So everything's fine now. So like, I would never know anything's wrong. But I think that's the problem. People can have it and not know. So, so lots of laughs all around. All right, guys. That, that, was, the, that was the comedy portion of the podcast. Hey, another thing I wanted to mention is I'm reading a good book. Let me grab a book real quick I want to talk about. Nice. I like book talk. I'm reading uh, – well, I don't know how, how good the book is, but it's called Men of War. It might even be Men of War. Yeah, it's Men of War. And you know, like how Keegan did the face of battle where he compared like three battles in three different periods. This guy does yeah. the American soldier in combat at Bunker Hill, Gettysburg, and Iwo Jima. Uh, Alec Alexander Rose. Uh, it's really good. The first one too. I mean, I fuck. I know all about Gettysburg, so that wasn't interesting. But dude, reading about fucking Iwo Jima, unbelievable. That's fucking crazy. It is unbelievable what the Marines went through. Like. Most of the units that landed on Iwo Jima suffered a hundred percent casualties. Jesus. Like, like one company, only eight guys that originally made the landing actually made it off unscathed. Jeez. And what they did was, after the first couple waves, they're like, "We're running out of guys." So then they started go combing through all the units. Hey, all the cooks, all the cooks, they got sent <laughs> the next wave. Basically, they took all those guys off the ships that were in all the cushy positions. Basically, they, they got them all together and they're like, hey, we need volunteers to go out to Iwo Jima. This is off the, on the Marines that are on the fleet that's floating out. And that no one would fucking volunteer. So then they had to draft guys to send them in. And those guys, they said, got killed. Like most of them got killed within like the first like day of being on Iwo Jima because they would be walking around. And they would just get right, fucking plugged by someone. And pull someone out of the kitchen. <laughs> it, it, the book is great just for the Iwo Jima section because I would uh, like – I had no idea that the Marines had gone through so much manpower. Like initially the Marines were all volunteers. Then they started drafting people for the Marines and the Marines didn't like that. So they said, okay, we'll take draftees, but we want, they have to say that they would prefer to be Marines in their draft. So you had an option where you could check that you prefer to be a Marine because that would still give them the illusion that they were like getting the volunteers, but the quality of the Marines they were getting like went downhill fast. Like as they started landing on these islands and taking terrible casualties. And he talks about how the Japanese strategies to defend the islands evolved. Like they were putting out new island defense manuals like every four to five months to try to you – know, at first they're like, we're going to fight everybody at the beach. And then Iwo Jima, they fell back and were like, no, we're going to let them land and then we're going to make them fight their way through the entire island. So it's incredible to read about. Have you guys read any That's good military history books? 
not lately. I haven't even read a presidential biography yet this year. Yeah, been, yeah where, where are you? How far are uh, you? Quincy Adams will, will be next. Wow, you're really slowing down. Yeah, I, I did five <laughs> last year, and then... I, what did I read? I, I was reading something earlier this year. Am I reading? Because I'm not traveling. I haven't taken a trip for work since Jan- the end of January. Um, so that that kills my reading. Um, and then just I got in the you, middle. You're of not books. even at the slow period yet. Wait till after Grant. That period between Grant yeah. and Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. But I'm I'm looking forward to, to reading the Quincy Adams book just so I can get on to Jackson and just read about that dumpster fire because he's he's like a fascinating asshole, right? Like <laughs> such an interesting person, but piece of shit at the same time. Um, but yeah, no no military history. Even my Vietnam reading has slowed down. What about you, Paul? You read anything? Yeah, uh, I'm reading a book about Korea now. Let me let me see what it's called. It's one of the like, it's like the top five books. If you Google like, what book should I read about the Korean War? Uh, but that kind of the fascinating asshole thing. It's like MacArthur. It's the same kind of thing. Right. Coldest Winter <laughs> is what it's called by Halberstam. Yeah, MacArthur is a real piece of work. But yeah, that's it's interesting because it's like this book kind of jumps around. Like it, some parts of it are like kind of operational like kind of high level overview. And then there's like some pivotal moments. They'll kind of zoom in on individual, you know, companies and that kind of thing and what happened to them. And it's kind of similar. Like these guys just get tore up, you know, they get left out in the middle of nowhere and they'll have like three Chinese divisions attacking a battalion and it does not go well. Yeah. Like reading this book, I'm like, man, I want to play like an Iwo Jima game. Now it made me want to bust out my rising sun stuff for ASL. I'm like, this is crazy. Like the shit these guys went through. Unbelievable. Yeah, I kind of I didn't know anything about the Korean War really. I played a, a scenario from the OCS Korea game with Duck. Oh yeah, with, like, I saw the that. Pusan perimeter. That looked and cool. And so this, yeah, it was it was fun, but that kind of made me want to read read more about it. And this is like, and it's kind of nice after playing the game. You know, you know some of the towns, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I kind of that was a problem for me too, and that kind of thing. So it's it's fun to see that kind of aspect of it. But I like it now. It just makes me want to play the whole OCS Korea thing. Well, yeah, especially because OCS Korea has that cool rule for the Chinese infiltrating down yeah. between yeah, the Americans. They're like off the map until the Chinese decide to spring it. Yeah, and it's it's fun too, I think, because it's like it goes back and forth, it seems like. You know, like at the beginning, the UN is just getting the shit kicked out of them. It's all rock stuff, and they just get steamrolled. And then they kick the shit out of the North Koreans for a while, and then the Chinese come, and it turns around. And I think yeah, it'd be a fun it, thing to do the whole campaign for. It, it would be cool to see how OCS handles that because, like, it's kind of like Burma, where like you know, it, it's it's a real testament to the system that you can take it to these different theaters, and you don't have to change the game, the rules, right? I mean, you have scenario rules, but you don't have to change right, the system right. itself. And it's kind of cool, you know. There's jets and stuff, so you get to see some of the modern stuff starting to show up a little bit. But yeah, it's it's a good book so far. I like it. I'm about, I don't know, halfway through, something like that. And I just finished, uh, I read a book about France 1940 when I started looking at the Blitzkrieg legend. And then after that, I read a Normandy book because I wanted to kind of, the France 1940 thing just kind of bums you out. So you need to wait, <laughs> read something about the Nazis losing to kind of reset. Yeah, I'm kind of going... I'm kind of going full circle now where like the original games that I was interested in, like OCS and Musket and Pike, I'm kind of going back around and revisiting them now. So, and I'm kind of 
like relearning them and kind of it's cool I'm, i still enjoy those games quite a bit so there's just so many fucking games dude so many systems it's it's hard because it's like you want to learn more about the systems you know but then there's always the next the grass is always greener right it's like oh i gotta check that thing out yeah i, I put goss away i'm gonna goss i'm gonna i'm gonna tackle it but just because clay was nice enough to give me hurricane forest and uh yeah and so I really wanted to, but I'm like, I think I'm gonna have to play this with somebody who knows the rules because it, it'll just be so much easier to pick it up. Yeah, I, I got that. Art did that. Like, I don't know if he goes by Art Arthur. Went by that. Uh, did that pay it forward kind of thing. And he, so he sent me Hurricane, and now I feel like I need to play it because he sent it to me. So I wanna, I wanna at least give it the old college try. But that rule book is is intimidating. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to think, and the map is very complicated. Like, yeah you're like i'm like what is this these tiny little hash, hash marks on this there's significant things are really tiny on the map i'm like oh shit like i can't put too many guys in this hex because these tiny little marks on the map so yeah and it was like like when i played i played next war at aac con last year with bmo and just like the experience of just playing it with him and then like mitch is there when we got confused he could come over right and like it's so much better than just like sitting around with a rule book like a jackass like uh yeah I, I mean, I, there's I, no way i'm gonna get through this thing i ended up buying next war poland and the supplement because i was like i i kind of had hadn't bought it and i was like oh i should get it mainly because i was worried he got a print but I, again next war was a great system too i really dug next war korea so I'm going to try to get back into that too, but like some of this stuff has to wait till retirement, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Jason, you got anything else going on? Not really. I, I, I can review a game if, if, if we want to do that. Yeah, I can review. Paul, do you have a game to review? I do. I do. Can I grab another drink here? Yeah, absolutely. Jason, you want to go first? Sure. So right. it's, not, it's not a war game. Shocking. Of course, of course. <laughs> and it's not really a role-playing game, and it's not really a board game. It's this weird, <coughs> shocking again, solo game um, called Four Against Darkness. And it's like an $8 PDF that's like 80 pages. Um, so it's, it's not even a print-and-play game. The rules are like 40 pages of rules and then like 40 pages of charts. <coughs> so the the, the game is you create four characters um, to, to run. And so you could play it with really one or two people, I think. I, it wouldn't be fun to play one character doing this. Um, but then you roll on these tables to create a dungeon. So you go room by room through this dungeon and pick the door you're going to go into. So it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure board game. It's kind of like a roguelike video game where you know you're kind of walking blind through a dungeon encountering monsters and, and fighting them. Um, and it's table-based? <coughs> yeah. Like you're rolling for things? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like you start, you roll 1d6, and it gives you the, the dungeon entrance. You pick a door. If there's a choice, you roll 2d6, and it gives you like the shape of the room um, or the shape of the corridor. Um, and, and either of those are, are based on that 2d6 roll. Um, and then you roll a table based on what that is. Um, again, 2d6, it will tell you what's in there. And then you roll 2d6 to f get more specific. So like if it's a, a monster or a boss monster, then you roll again to see, you know, it's a young dragon or it's a wandering ghost or whatever. Um, and then like you can 
um, you can fight right away or you can try to like parlay with whatever you're encountering um, and kind of bribe them or talk them out of their treasure or whatever. Super simple. Super now, easy are there, to play. Are there different classes? Like are there differentiations mm -hmm. between the characters you have? Yeah. So there's, I think there's eight eight types of characters and they all have like their, their special things. Um, and you, you choose four of them and you don't even roll, like you're not rolling stats. Um, you just choose and, and they have stuff. So like the barbarian is pretty good at fighting and can go into rage once a game, you know, stuff like that. The wizard can cast spells, but isn't very, very strong. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to that, like, OD&D, &D, the original D&D. &D. So, like, elf and dwarf is its own class. It's not like a dwarven cleric. You're a cleric or you're a dwarf. Um, <coughs> now, is there a one-time run-through for a character, or can you, like, go through multiple dungeons with the same character and, like, you can. keep your stuff? Okay. Yeah, so they max it level five and you could theoretically get to level five in in one play the the book says uh, one game should take about 45 minutes to an hour and i'm finding that to be a little bit on the low side um and maybe my graph paper is just too big i don't know it it doesn't really say to like define it in a certain way but you just use graph paper and draw up this dungeon and, and kind of crawl through it um and it's it's dumb as a box of rocks like there's not you know there's not really strategy there's not really tactics you're just kind of experiencing this thing as it unfolds but now, it how, is, do, how, do, how does the game scale for your level it doesn't okay so you 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 might come across a tough encounter at level one or an easy mm -hmm. encounter at level five okay right right yeah it but it does give you those options to if you know you're low level um like um i the the fourth room into the dungeon came across a young dragon um but it was sleeping so i i chose to just sneak around it rather than rather than fight it right um and what and what's the name of the game four against darkness okay the the number four um or the word of the number four rather um like i said super simple um the rules have everything you need there's not like you need to go find a player aid or anything like that. Um, and what, there's what's a, the, what's the significance of four? Cause you, you take four characters. In. Oh, you have four with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it tells this really fun, random story as you, as you play through it. And it is like those kind of, you know, like the first person dungeon computer games where, you know, you can't see what you're about to walk into and then it, text screen pops up with what's in front of you and you, you know, choose what to do and go forward. Um, <coughs> so that, that nostalgia piece and that kind of simple, just, just experiencing it and not having to really dig into it and think too much has, has been a lot of fun for me. So is it, is it random or do you have like so many scenarios and once you played them, you played them? Um, there are scenarios and I guess there's, I was looking at the, at the guy's website. There's, there's a lot of scenarios, I guess. Like there's a, um, what was it? There's like a, you take one person through like a, a Tolkien esque adventure. There's like high seas adventures, um, that, that are less random, but the base game is just completely random. You just roll 2d6 and figure out what's going on. Um, and then you just interact with it.
and it, it it sounds kind of lame and it kind of is it's it's kind of a dumb game um but i i think that dumbness is is, is what's drawing me to it just like a choose your own adventure where you know you can kind of right, it's 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 low effort right right it's 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 an adventure and it it's somehow more engaging than even like the D D board games that are that you can run through in a similar way and still you know you draw the rant the the dungeon tiles randomly and and figure out what's in there randomly my daughter's getting ice samur's in the house <laughs> <laughs> um but you know there's there's more footprint for those games there's more setup for those games this you pull out the book um and i i bound it in two different books the, the rules in one and then the charts in another um and i i have a pencil and a piece of grass graph paper and i'm ready to go so you know m my wife can be watching um whatever cult documentary she's watching and i can you know set it up on a tv tray and and just roll through it it's it's fun no, that sounds good. Like, so how much is that? How much is the game? $8. Oh, wow. Yeah. So good. you can, you can buy the PDF for $8 or the, the bound book for $8. And I'm uh, assuming the beers are pretty high on this game. <laughs> yeah. It's, you could, you could probably get pretty shit faced. <laughs> um, the fun scale too is pretty high. I mean, it's not, it's not a super engrossing war game. That's going to, uh, you know, teach you something. It, it is dumb, dumb fun. Uh, so I'll give it, let's give it an eight. Cause two times four um, and then yeah basically infinite beers but it's scratching that that little bit of an adventure game itch it's scratching like a a role-playing storytelling game itch it's <coughs> it's been 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 hitting it for me oh that's cool that sounds good did you <laughs> did you name your characters i did um and I don't you don't have, have to. You don't have to tell us the names. <laughs> Are you sure? I don't have my. I don't have my character sheet in front of me. Uh, I I know you're more creative now. Probably in high school they would have all sounded like Tolkien characters, like <laughs> Elefrindel and, right. and Grimnir. So I did. I did take a cleric with me, and I, I in in uh, in middle school, my my dwarven cleric was named Halinor, and so my my dwarven cleric is always called Halinor. But other than that, yeah, I got a little bit more creative. That's good. That's cool. Yeah. How about you, Paul? What do you have? So I was gonna I was gonna talk about Angola. So I played this last. Oh yeah, I played the, I played this game. Okay. Nice. So I was. Uh, so it's a it's kind of a different one. I, I I'm glad I played it because I was gonna talk about OCS and then I felt like everybody's probably played OCS, but I don't think it this has been around as much. Um, so it's a four player game. It's a war game, uh, but it's four players um, with two teams. So you have two teams of two. But there's no like uh, individual victory, so it's just a straight team game. One one team wins and the other one loses. Um, so it's a it's an area movement game. Uh, so you're in Angola, you're fighting this civil war, and you kind of have like one team, which is these two communist, I guess, factions, and then the other team is the two like Western kind of factions. Um, and they're so all the, like, are they all like acronyms? Yeah, yeah, you FAPLA, NISWA, right. all kinds of good stuff. Uh, so the basically the way it works is um, there's the counters just have like a strength. There's no movement points or anything. Everybody kind of moves the same. Um, but the, you have this like deck of cards, um, 
and the cards are stuff like so so you have these columns so basically you'll you'll pick a stack and you'll say like this stack is column a this one's column b and so on uh so you'll have a card that's like says column a and that means you take that stack and you can move it around you know like however many spaces and then it can fight whenever it runs into an enemy and then there's another card that says fifth column which is like you can just take a stack that's not a column and move it but it can't fight and then there's a card to switch columns. So like you could swap A and B and that kind of thing. And, and then isn't, you also, isn't there something like you have to kind of sort your hand and it yeah. goes in order, right? Yeah. So this is when it gets like, I feel like the beers rating on this is variable because every turn you have to make a, a like a, I don't know what you call it, like a deck, I guess. of like, I think it's four to seven, something like that. You Cards. But then after you pick the deck, it's secret. You can't look at it. You can't, and nobody else can look at it. So like at the beginning of the turn, you could really like puzzle through like, oh, I got to move A and then he's going to fight here, but he'll probably move his B and then I got to, and like, or you just said like, by the end we were drinking and by the end it's like, fuck it, like A, B, <laughs> pass, C. <laughs> so I kind of, you can kind of spend as much time on that as you, as you want to, or you can just kind of, I feel like sometimes, and it's, it's kind of cool because like get to like the third card or whatever and you flip it over and you're like, why the fuck did I think that'd be useful? Like, <laughs> That's right. absolutely, there's absolutely nothing for this guy to do, but Luke, you had a plan at some point. So, um, so yeah, the turn kind of goes, you'll flip your cards over, you just go around, um, and you know, you'll move and fight. And then the, the other thing that's kind of cool is the, the victory condition. So each person has five chits that are like victory chits. Um, so whenever you lose a city or a town, you have to give chits to whoever took it from you. So at the end of the turn, say one of the teams will have like 14 chits and the other one will have six or something like that. And then you have a goal which starts at 20 and kind of goes down. So at the end of the turn, whoever had more chits, they, they say won the turn. So like maybe this turn I needed 17, but I only got 15. But then the next turn, my goal is going to go down to 15. So it's easier for me to win next time. And yours is still wherever it was before. Now, I played this at Consum World with some of the guildies, and uh, my experience was that it was really cool for like the first seven turns, but then like stacks started to get really big, and yeah. like the combat started to like really start to take a while to resolve between yeah, all the so different we, units. We ended up we we called it at seven because like the I was one of the uh, the plucky communist factions and. We were like holding it together, but we would like win each turn. We were like, they would always be like one point away. And so by a turn, I think we were, it was the end of turn seven. We were just like, there's no way. Like we didn't want to keep going. And it was there. They were obviously going to win at some point. So we, we were calling it, but. Yeah. My um, experience was for the first half of the game. It was, I was like, this is really cool. And then the second half we were like, I was like, God, one more, please don't fight another battle. And then we'd be like, <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, and the, and the problem is like one of the, com I think like the, one of the results is like combat continues and so like you could just like have these things go on and on and on for for multiple rounds until somebody retreats or gets killed so um that could get old and the, the combat i wasn't i liked a lot of stuff in the game the combat i'm not sure about it's kind of weird um so the way it works is like the crt is like fixed so it's like if it's two to one it's like defender retreats one to two is attacker retreats whatever no matter what. Um, but then you roll and the roll gives you like shifts on the CRT. So like I might shift from, I'm, the odds might be one to one, but I'll shift up to four to one or something like that. 
Um, and you get DRMs from having like tanks and stuff like that. And then there's stuff that makes you roll more dice. So the combat is kind of a weird. I don't right. think it's and kind some, of more complicated than it needs and, to be. And I some think. units were better against other units. Yeah, there something like that. There's all kinds of. There's like anti-tank missiles you can have and right, anti-aircraft right. missiles and all kinds of weird stuff. And you can call on airstrikes. And the other thing that if you lose your turn, basically there's like a table that's like, depending on how shitty it was for you, your backing country is going to send in like that's more right. stuff. Like you'll that's get right. like T-72s or something if you're the Soviets. Um, and the other thing that's kind of cool is at the end of the turn, everybody secretly bids for how much help they want from their their like backing government and so like i'll i'll like secretly say i want to draw like four cards so you'll draw cards out of this deck but the cards like sometimes they're great like it'll be like you get three air units but otherwise it'll be like brezhnev sent you a birthday card or something like that and it's like right. <laughs> nothing happens so. but the, the the trick is who if somebody bid more than everybody else the other alliance, their victory chick goes down one because they like won the propaganda victory or whatever. Because they didn't have to rely on like outside yeah. support. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this trade off of like, you know, you, but then, you know, if you bid one and the other guy bids like five, you're kind of fucked because he's going to have all these units next turn. All you got was one slide on the victory chip for him. Right. So you don't want to beat the guy by just one. Right. Right. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird game. Um, I, I want to play it again. But like, there's some stuff I don't know. I like I like the victory a lot. I like the support kind of system a lot. Um, the combat is kind of weird. Yeah, one of the things I liked about it was you kind of start with your guys, if I remember correctly, kind of all over the place. Yeah, I think it's random. I think you you kind of everybody starts in some places, but then you just draw little right. town shits and you start wherever you drew. So you kind of like part of the game in the beginning is consolidating like your base of power that you're gonna come out from you know yeah and i so i was the i was the uh the fapla and uh i kind of i started in this city that's, that, like, that's jason's favorite side <laughs> <laughs> my my push to talk wasn't wasn't on for my for my giggle um so there's a i you you start in like the capital i think or oh this big city that basically if you lose it you're fucked and i had the the blue guy whatever they are he started like all up in my shit and so, like the whole game, I feel like I was just stacking up in 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 the capital and getting pounded on by this this guy with these Western tanks, and I was just kind of taking it the whole game, which was uh, I don't know, it was all right, but I feel like I I freed up the my my communist brethren to to fight out in the in the hills, but it was a rough go for me. I just kind of sat in one corner of the map and, and just took it from them for a while. Yeah, I mean, it helps that it's a team game, so. Yeah, like, yeah, and there's and there's definitely like there were there were moments where it was like people were like completely pissed off at their teammates like why the hell are you doing with those guys like why are they down there I'm getting you know like the shit kicked out of me up here you got to help and I like that aspect of it too. Yeah, it's cool. Like I said, I had fun. I think you guys you might have quit right before it starts to get too many units on the map. Yeah, but. and it's and it's it's not like I mean it's it's not super long. It's not like a monster or anything, but I think we've been playing for like five or six hours and it's like it's like I feel like we got we got the Angola experience here. Like we're we're So okay. are, was this a game you'd want to play again? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would I would happily play it again. Um but it's not it's not perfect, but 
it's definitely and it's one of those ones that's so different from a lot of other stuff that I'm happy to have a copy of it and you know get it played at a con or something like that. That's cool. So uh, fun one to ten. Uh, I'll say I'll say seven. And beers is variable. Yeah, I think depending on how intense you are about it, it could be like eight beers to zero. So n- <laughs> not a tournament game. This would not be a competitive game. Yeah, yeah. For a fun game, I it's pretty high beers. Like the the rules aren't that bad. Um, and if you don't spend your whole game like overanalyzing how you're going to set your deck up, it's not bad. Now, is nice. this game is it still in print, Angola? Can you get it? I think so. I got my copy on Facebook, but I paid like yeah. thirty bucks for it or something. It's not wow. expensive in the in used copies anyway. Yeah, it's it's still on MMP, seventy five bucks. And that was a good deal, Paul. You got a steal. Yeah, thirty thirty dollars was great. yeah yeah. Good old Harold Buchanan hooked me up. <clears throat> nice. Speaking of liberty or death. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a cool uh, period too. So that kind of there's not a lot of games in those. I guess that's like early '70s, probably fighting in Angola, maybe early to late '70s. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. Like I don't know that much about the the Angolan civil war, but it, it does not sound like a pleasant experience. So it's one of those ones that you you kind of feel bad about it a little bit, but it's like you're having fun and <laughs> killing killing the imperialists and. Yeah, anybody who read Soldier of Fortune magazines probably has read some stuff as a kid. <laughs> they would know this. They'd probably read a little bit about it. Well, good. All right. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about it? I don't want to cut you off. No, no. I think I think I hit the high points here. I'm, uh, I'm in the whiskey now, so I don't, I'm not going to have good. too many uh, well civilized good. opinions about it. <laughs> good, good. So uh, the game I'm going to review is uh, by GMT. It's called At Any Cost Mets. Uh, 1870 and uh, so this is a game i had been i had been watching for for a long time on pre-order kind of waiting for this game to come out and it's uh based on the uh, blind sword system uh that uh stonewall sword and thunder in the ozarks uses the same system but obviously this is the franco-prussian war so it's a little bit different um uh, we we had talked a little bit about uh on the guild about box covers cover art <laughs> and uh i gotta say not the we, we were generally the consensus was that some of the box covers for gmt are starting to look like they're mailed in a little bit like not a lot of effort going on I was am i correct in that that was yeah. the general consensus yeah, yeah. and and this one was actually an example that was brought up and it is true i mean there's a lot of great paintings in the period and so that they definitely take advantage of that there's a lot of great color paintings because this was a period where the uniforms were still really nice like guys weren't wearing khaki everywhere and and camouflage and muddy um but yeah you know so this is another example of maybe box art that's not the best it's basically just two paintings stuck to the front of it <laughs> with some drop <laughs> shadow yeah so my, yeah, my it's wife is a, my wife is a designer so this is the one part of war games that we can like talk about because she has no interest in, in war games at all. But have you guys played Triumph and Tragedies? I don't want to. I don't mean to like interrupt. No, you. yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I showed her the cover to that, and she's like, "What the fuck is it?" Like, yeah, that's pretty there's rough. A, there's a stopwatch, and then there's a nuke, and then there's. Uh... <laughs> it's like clip art. They're doing like clip art covers. 
Yeah, so uh, don't let the box discourage you. <laughs> it's actually a really great game. In fact, I think it's probably a much better uh, uh, implementation of the whole blind swords chip pull system and that, that <laughs> system of games. Um, I'm a big fan of, of the whole blood and iron period of that, like, 1850s to 1880s fighting in uh in europe kind of where technology was first starting to really t make an impact on the battlefields and uh yet the generals couldn't seem to quite figure out like how to use it i mean basically it's as if they had not paid attention to any of the fighting in this american civil war uh even though they had had, had people that they'd sent to observe uh the armies fighting definitely in the east um they might have missed out on the whole idea of having your cavalry dismount and fight, which the, I think that might have been more of a Western uh, thing with Forrest and those guys that they started doing because the cavalry in this period definitely did not dismount and they got smoked by the uh, modern firepower that was available. So what this game covers is uh, the portion of the war, uh, which was basically where the French had fallen back from the border and disengaged from the prussian the the prussian army basically uh there were there were other nations fighting the smaller german states fighting with prussia but for all practical purposes the prussian army was running the show um and uh it was basically the french were well equipped um their government was shaky because it was under napoleon uh not the good napoleon the bad napoleon i think he's napoleon the third yeah. um and so basically we the game starts at the moment where napoleon basically uh shakes one of his core commanders hand bazane and says okay you're in charge i'm gonna go right back and uh see what's going on with the other army so bazane is like "Fuck, i'm in charge like bazane did not want to be in charge of the army and uh so napoleon rides away leaving bazane basically in charge of france's army their main army and so the germans have lost track of where the french army is because of course their cavalry is not doing what cavalry should be doing like scouting and they're not doing a great job of that so the prussians are desperately trying to figure out where the french are and the french are kind of like relaxing in their position <laughs> like they've fallen back and they're kind of bazane's kind of maybe trying to figure out uh assume command and figure out what's going on um and so the french are kind of in this area around in 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 france and the prussians meanwhile are swinging around because the prussian goal is to not try to capture any particular area they're trying to destroy the french army so they want to surround it and destroy it and bazane is like blissfully unaware that this is about to happen to him and until french german units start like kind of appearing behind his right flank and then over time the entire german army basically appears behind his right flank and they start cutting off his retreat to Verdun, which is where he was trying to, he was theoretically going to try to fall back to. So the first battle that this, this campaign covers, this game covers is the battle around Mars Latour. And I'm not even sure if I'm gonna, there's going to be many French pronunciations <laughs> that are going to be incorrect in, in this uh, review. But um, the, one of the scenarios is Mars Latour where basically the Germans fought for and captured that, that town which laid right across the southern retreat path for the french army so then uh as the germans began to move further and further onto the battlefield it got to a point where the german army was literally w west of the french army 
and so the French army was trapped between uh, the border and the German army, and they fell back to a uh, a ridge, big ridge, which when the Germans attacked from the west and the south, uh, and that was the Battle of Gravelot Saint Privat, which is the second battle scenario that's in the game. Um, and after that battle, even though Bazaine technically won it, he decided, I guess I'm just going to fall back to the fortress in Metz and pulled the army back to Metz, which was exactly what the Prussians wanted because then they just bottled up the army in, in Metz, which was a giant fortress that they didn't think they'd be able to take anyway and uh, basically trapped the army there for the rest of the war until they surrendered. So, so this is kind of like a big giant flanking move by the Germans to trap the French. So one of the cool ways the game reflects that is uh, when you do the campaign, there's two campaigns. One campaign is kind of a, a free flow campaign where it starts with the French kind of, uh, I haven't played this one, but it starts with them kind of almost off the map and you get to decide the march order to move them onto the map. And at the same time, the Germans are coming on. So you can kind of try to change history a little bit as far as which core moving out when. Um, the one I played is kind of where the French are hunkered down uh, there, and then the Germans start appearing and the French suddenly realize that the Germans are coming around. And that's the campaign I, I, I played. Uh, it's, I think it's called a beckoning victory, that campaign. So that's kind of the strategic situation or the grand operational situation. Um, the French are fucked. Uh, but the cool thing is it's like three or four days that this battle took this whole larger battle took place each day, the French commander, the player can choose a victory objective for the French army. It might be uh, take the southern road to Verdun. It might be take the northern road to Verdun. It might be I want to fight a pitched battle or maybe I want to retreat to Metz. So based on which secret objective for that day they've chosen, that's how they gain their victory points. So, uh -huh. so if you choose I want to retreat by the north road of, to Verdun, you get points for every core, every element that you manage to march off the map that day. Uh, they don't come back, but uh, uh -huh. and you get more points the better condition they're in. So you might uh -huh. want to have units fighting a rear guard while you try to march other guys off. But then the next day, you have to decide what your objective is going to be for that day. So the Germans trying to cut off that retreat route. So you, basically you won't be able to pick those objectives anymore successfully. So then at some point, then the French is stuck with, do we want to fight a pitch battle or do we want to retreat to Metz? You know, so the German right. player kind of has to suss out. It's kind of cool because the German player doesn't know what the victory conditions are. Right. The German player just knows based on what the French are doing, what they might be. You know, like you're like, oh shit, they're marching everyone to the north. Maybe their objective is to take that north road. And the south road, which is the one close to the Germans, gives them the most victory points. But if they gotcha. choose the north one, they can they can it's easier to exit off of, but they don't get as many victory points for it. So I thought that was kind of cool. You can set like a daily goal, a daily victory objective for your side, which makes it a little harder to solo because um obviously as the German player, you know what the objective is but but you could probably kind of figure it out based on what the french are doing i mean if they're digging in and getting ready to fight you it's probable they chose pitched battle for their objective and then they get points for like how many uh i think they get points for like how many guys they destroyed or it's it's yeah i got it right here it's uh so if you do hold up in mets um if you have a pristine core that marches off the east side towards mets you get like four vps um, 
as opposed to like if you try to do the South Harder escape route, a pristine core marching off the map gives you five VPs. And uh, if you do the North one, it would give you less, only four VPs. You get more points for marching off the Imperial Guard because obviously they were considered like critical to Napoleon. Um, so you, you probably don't want to waste those guys. So like say in the first couple of days, you get these guys smashed in battle, fighting all these battles. Yeah, you could then decide, well, now we're going to try to hole up in Mets. But you're going to get less victory points because you're mm -hmm. you're they're damaged. So your units are like if you have a shattered core hold up at Mets. It gives you one VP. You know, and I think shattered right. is like shattered something like fifty percent or seventy five percent of your guys are battle so, battle worn. Do the Germans get VPs or are they just trying to hold the French under some number? Let's see. Um, the the victory determination. Let's see. So the the Prussians do have automatic victory conditions. Um, if they shatter or deplete four or more French formations, the Imperial Guard equals two formations, they auto, auto victory. I think their general objective is to try to, uh, prevent the French from scoring VPs. Mm -hmm. And because, because I haven't really, in, in my playthrough, uh, the Prussians were able to, to cut off. I, I was trying to retreat down the South road to get more VPs, but the Germans were able to get in there too quick and I couldn't get them out of there. I couldn't get them out of Mars tour and they just keep showing up and showing up and they get to the point where you're like, fuck it. I can't, I'm not going to be able to get down that road because then they're, dig <laughs> they're digging in. So then you start thinking as the French player, okay, well, what's my goal going to be for tomorrow? Cause maybe I can start setting that up now by positioning right. those cores so when right. morning comes, I can march the north road or I can try to, you know, so it's kind of cool. I think I think the way the VPs work is pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, that's interesting. And and so, uh, you know, And then this you is, can't go all in as the Germans, even if you're sure that's their objective because you might leave something else open for the next day. You, you know as the German that you want to cut off those westbound roads. So you're going to try to push, once you know you've got uh, the southern road locked down probably by taking Mars Latour, then you want to start pushing units up the northwest side to try to cut off the northern road um, to, to to keep them from getting that uh, that uh, easy escape route out west. So, I mean, it they actually it's funny because they did this to the army in Metz, and then later on the the Germans did the same thing to the other French army in Sedan, where Napoleon says, <laughs> "Oh, now I'm marching up with my other army." And Sedan was like a fortress or a fortress town that was in a valley surrounded by mountains. And it's very DNBN foo where like the, the <laughs> French are like, oh, they're never going to get their artillery up on these mountains. Well, the Prussians got all their stuff. So they were surrounding the French from the heights, just shelling the town the whole time. And a French foreign legion officer famously said, uh, Sedan is a toilet and we are the shit. <laughs> <laughs> So take so, note for a future quiz. So, so <laughs> that, that, that kind of sets up like the, the situation, like the kind of the objectives that you're trying to get on the big picture. Um, but the really cool way the game works is with where the different weapon systems um, interact with each other. So in this period, the uh, 
the Prussians had just fought a war with Austria and they had invented the needle gun, which was like a breech loading gun. It was the first really mass produced breech loading gun. And they fucking completely destroyed the Austrians with it. Like a, a Prussian company could put out the firepower of an Austrian battalion and they were able to just mow the Austrians down because the Austrians decided we're going to use like mass column tactics because we know the Prussians have better firepower. So the one thing they would think we would never dare to do is mass our guys together and which of course it's like of course it's the stupidest thing so they would never think that we would do this so but when you fast forward to the franco-prussian so the advantage the austrians had was they had really good artillery so the prussians learned from that so with the krupp's guns they really developed their they had breech loading artillery they really had excellent artillery in the franco-prussian war but the french hadn't been stupid they had developed the chasse rifle which was the state-of-the-art breech loading rifle and it outranged the prussian needle gun it was very effective at long ranges so when the prussians would try to assault the french could just mow them down the problem was their fucking generals were so bad and the morale wasn't great because the it's their units were a little bit under strength because they didn't mobilize very well and the uh the french troops weren't as motivated they didn't have as high morale because there, there was a lot of unhappiness with the government and the the regular army didn't have a lot of support from the people so in this system you have uh basically then prussian infantry that can fire the rifles you've got french infantry that can fire the rifles twice as far uh, you've got uh, French artillery that's decent, and then you've got Prussian artillery that can easily outrange the French artillery. So there's this kind of a, a lot of rock, scissors, paper, except it's going like four different directions. And then the other thing the French had invented was they they invented the mitrailleuse, which was like a big machine gun, kind of like a Gatling gun, but it was mounted on an artillery carriage. So the French didn't consider that it should be a, a weapon deployed with the infantry they would deploy it back with the artillery pieces where it would get shelled by the Prussian artillery and destroyed. And it couldn't even really respond because they were shooting bullets. They weren't shooting artillery. <laughs> so in the few fights, like at Gravelot saint Provost, some of the Mitrelus were actually deployed among the infantry. They mowed down the, uh, the, the attacking Prussians. But so the way the game reflects this is the Mitrelus is really good at shooting at, at units. But it, the Mitrelus battery, so you'll have an artillery battery, and then you'll have a Mitrelus battery. They always have to be stacked together. So, uh, okay. so if you want to have your Mitrelus on the firing line, you've got to have your artillery battery on the firing line too. Um, so it's kind of cool. I think that was a really neat way. Because otherwise, if you gave a bunch of Mitrelus batteries to, uh, and I, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but um, it gets abbreviated to Mitra really quick. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you if you uh, gave this to a bunch of war gamers, of course, they're going to just put all their Mitrelus batteries among the infantry and just have them all up on the gun line with their batteries in the back firing. Um, but that's just not how the French did it. So they don't let you do that. It basically, each artillery unit is two counters, one for the Mitrelus and one for the battery. They can actually fire it at separate targets if you want them to. So the way the combat system basically works is it's a uh, it's 2d10. You roll 2d10. One is going to be your you, – you basically look at how many strength points you have firing. The uh, one, 1d10 one is, is how effective your fire was. And then you might get a result like uh, – MT plus three, so morale test plus three. The morale test is the other die you rolled. So if you roll like 
high is good for all these rolls. So if you get a hit and you roll an eight with your other die and it's a plus three, that means it's an 11. You then compare that to the morale of the units that are, that are being shot at. And basically how much you beat their morale by is how many hits they take. So, and they'll, they'll get like, um, I forget what the, it's like one hit is shaken. Another hit is disrupted. You flip it, it's disrupted. And that reduces their strength, thus their firing ability. And then if they take additional hits and they're already disrupted, the worst they can be, I think is disrupted. Um, then they might flip over, take casualties, be battle-worn, and then you have to check to actually see if they're going to be destroyed and go taken off the map. So it's kind of neat that one roll of two dice decides, because you can get a great hit, like an MT plus three, is that's awesome, except if the morale die you rolled on the hit's a one, that means your morale check is only a four, and the French units are all like sixes and sevens, so they're going to pass that. Mm -hmm. So you have to have both dice be decent for it to be an effective hit. And if you roll doubles, they go low ammo because, you know, they had all these breech-loading weapons. They were firing a lot. It was easy for them to go low on ammo, and then that gives them shifts, and they don't shoot as well. So just to give you an idea of the ranges, because I'm talking about the ranges for these weapons, uh, Prussian infantry can shoot one hex effectively. At two hexes, they're extended, and it's halved. But French infantry can shoot to, out to two hexes effective, out to four hexes long range halved. Mm. Prussian artillery can shoot out to eight hexes. French artillery can only shoot out to six hexes. So, so it's pretty badass that French infantry can shoot out four hexes. I mean, that's like that's, in this game, that's a lot long distance. Is there is there opportunity fire or anything, or can the Prussians? Run the, the, there is shoot. opportunity fire. So the way the opportunity fire works is the way the way the blind sword system works is there's chits. So uh, there's a chit in the cup for each command. So you might pull the French first core chit or the Prussian fifth core chit, and that means that that core can then it's activated. But there's also things called event chits. So there's like. I think there's like 11 event shits for each side. You pick one that you get to put in your cup. And then I think there's four that are chosen randomly and dropped into your cup. And those, some of those chits give you opportunities for opportunity fire. So, but, but you can, some of these chits you can keep, like some of the opportunity chits you can keep and hold. So the player doesn't know if the chit you're holding is an opportunity chit or not. But then when you move uh, gotcha. and you say, ah, fuck you, and you burn it, right. and yeah. then you can shoot. But you can do that multiple times. So like some of the okay. uh, so some of the chits, in uh, each side has different chits, obviously. Some of them are similar, but, you know, there's, there's like uh, Krupp's guns allows you to do opportunity fire with artillery if you hold it. Or you can play it immediately to, to fire opportunity fire. Um, or there's an option because the Prussian artillery was very aggressive. You can actually charge, move an artillery unit forward and fire like half, and I think fire up to half. Yeah, you can move the chosen unit up to half and fire with its combat up to half. You can cause panic tests on the enemies. There's something called cloud of skirmishers where if someone moves like within four hexes for you, I think you can fire at them even if uh, I think even if you don't have a line of sight to them, it's just like you've got skirmishers running around out in front that fire at them. Um, there's uh, there's one that lets Prussians do. It's called Auftragstaktik, which which means they can uh, they can uh, charge forward and attack. But some of them are kind of cool because you have you actually have chits that can fuck up the other guy. Like 
the uh, French have one that's called Prussian aggressive tactics because the Prussians were trained to be very aggressive. Um, you can choose an infantry or cavalry unit on the Prussian side as the French player and then make that unit move one hex. So you can make it move right next to like your Mitrelus uh, and your I infantry gotcha. and then they just pour <laughs> fire. Because if you move adjacent to a unit, it gets defensive fire and then it can play an offensive uh, opportunity chit on you. So like you can just get fucking – I had one where uh, the French made a Prussian unit run up a valley that was surrounded. It was like charge of the light brigade, surrounded on all sides by artillery and mitrailleuses. <laughs> so each hex it moved – when it moved in the hex, like four units fucking fired at it at once and blasted it. <laughs> the the Prussians have a fuck you shit they can play too called Bazaine's Malaise. So Because Bazaine was kind of like – not into being the commander in chief of the French army. So when you play it, you get that shit, you can play it on a uh, French command. And then when that French command's command shit comes up, it's ignored. So that command does not move, which can fucking really annoy the French player because he's trying to get a core march into <laughs> position. And you're like, yeah, Bazaine decided he wasn't going to give those guys orders this turn. You're like, fuck. And, and basically, as the <laughs> Prussian player, I pick the Zane's Malays every time because I get one shit I can pick. That is always the shit I pick to put in the cup. And uh, the French player almost always picks <laughs> Prussian aggressive tactics. So, so those. But there's one more thing you can do with the event shits. Instead of playing them when you get them, you can put them up as command events. So the Prussian player hates Prussian aggressive tactics. Well, he can use his chits when he gets them and put them on his command event track and it gives him a chance to ignore Prussian aggressiveness. So it's like if he's got one chit when Prussian aggressiveness comes up, he can ignore it on one to three. If he's got two, it's a one to six, three, it's a one to nine, but it's only for that turn. So think about it. He's only got five chits to use for the whole turn. Uh, gotcha. So you really, you're basically committing those chits instead of using them to fight. You're, you're basically saying, Hey, I'd rather use them. To, and the French have the same thing for Bazaine's Malays. Basically as the French player, I'm always trying to put my chits on to keep Bazaine's Malays from happening. So, but then sometimes you'll put three chits on there and he'll put the Prussian player will put Bazaine's Malays on your guys to try to keep them from moving. And you're like, ah, fuck, I got a one to nine chance. And you roll a fucking 10 and it doesn't matter how many chits you put on, Bazaine still <laughs> fucked up the orders. <laughs> so then each side also has one so other. It sounds like you can kind of, yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you can kind of bluff too, right? Like if, if you pull, like you might not even pull that chit till the last one, right? Well, the other and then thing the French that, just burned three chits for nothing, right? Or you might not even have have selected Bazaine's Malay, so maybe you don't even have that chit in the cup, <laughs> and they're putting, and that's just for the turn, right? So there's like ten turns in a day, maybe. So they're committing these chits, and you're giggling because you don't even think that chit is in the cup, and they're trying to defend against it. Um, the French have one other thing they can devote their chits to, and it's called French offensive spirit because there is a chit that each side normally gets, which is called the commander-in-chief chit, and basically it allows you to activate a division outside the core structure, and that division, if they're close enough to each other, they can do, do a full activation. So kind of, it allows you to, if you want to, a division can actually activate twice if you activate them with their core and then you use the commander-in-chief chit. Well, the French don't get to use their commander-in-chief chit until they put chits on their French offensive spirit. So then at the end of the turn, depending on how many chits they pull, they roll to see if then they can start using that chit. 
So with three chits on there, they have a one to six chance of getting the commander in chief chit. And once they get it, they keep it. But still, it's really frustrating for the French to have devoted like three of your five chits, especially since in the beginning of the campaign, uh, you only get like in the morning, like one chit and then two chits. It gradually increases until you're up to five. It's like the French army seemed to have trouble waking up in the morning. Like they just were not good. They were not morning people. You know, the Prussians were up eating their wiener schnitzel and drinking coffee, ready to go. And the, French were like, the French were like stretching, stretching and getting out of their tents, you know. So uh, so the the French can, can devote chits to trying to get that commander-in-chief chit for Bazaine. And then the other one the Prussians can do is the Prussians are on a timetable, so they've got reinforcements showing up. They can try to speed up reinforcements or even bring them on at a different road by putting them towards Prussian reinforcements. So if you put enough chits on Prussian reinforcements at the end of your turn, there's a chance you can take a reinforcement group, roll. If you roll successfully, then you can actually move them up, move their timetable up to where they come earlier. So there's a lot of flexibility to how the campaign will play out. And there's a chance because you're forced marching and they could come on tired, like disrupted or even battle worn. So there's just a lot of stuff that you can, uh, you can do in the game uh, as far as, you know, trying to mess around with how the campaign is going to play out. So I think it's really, I mean, I think, I think Stonewall sort of something similar where you could like maybe try to bring Jackson on by, but this, there's just a lot more flavor. I think in this this battle for how you can use these different things, um, but but so then when nighttime comes, like you can, you guys can also dig in. Basically, the way an activation works is first your guys shoot, then uh, oh you have headquarters too. So your core headquarters on one side is like aggressive or it's defensive. So when when it activates, you can decide which side you want to flip it to. And if it's on aggressive, some core, core commanders are better when they're aggressive. Some are better when they're defensive. They have bigger command ranges. Like cavalry divisions tend to be worse if they're defensive. Um, the advantage of being defensive is it lets you rally your guys. You can kind of try to get morale hits off of them. So when you activate a core, first thing you do is decide what, what, how, whether you want that core to be aggressive or defensive. Then you shoot your guys. Then you move them. If artillery is shot, it can't move. So you got little markers you can put on them to say they can't move. And then uh, you move your guys. Then you can. Then you do any close combats. Like if you want to, you move adjacent to a guy and you want to do a close combat, you can. And then uh, you can rally guys if you're on defensive posture. If you're in defensive posture, so yeah. There's there's just a, and and you can dig in like a little bit at nighttime. You can actually entrench. Um, and it's interesting at nighttime the guys bivouac. So the units actually stop, set up camp, and uh, you turn the headquarters to show that they're bivouacking. And then they can do things like try to entrench, and uh, they can try to like uh, uh, recover units they lost during the day. So if you've got a core that's really fucked up, like distance to the enemy is important. You don't want them too close to the enemy because there's modifiers. But like I would, mar I marched like a beat up core to the rear to let them bivouac safely in the hopes that during the night they would be able to recover some of their strength because I really wanted to march them the fuck off the table the next day. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and then of course the French, right? So then when the morning comes, your perky Prussians wake up. Now you got to slowly <laughs> get all your French units out of bivouac. Like they're, they can't do anything. Like you can basically do, you put one activation chip per core in the, in the cup each turn. So it's like 11 AM before your, your army's like <laughs> woken up and ready to go. Everybody's hungover. They're not ready yet. Yeah. So it's, and you know, it's, 
the, the, the rules, I think there's probably like, I'm trying to look at the rules. There's, there's maybe 24, 25, there's 24 pages of rules. They're super tight, obviously really well play tested, well designed. Uh, that gives you a lot of great history about the period if you don't know it. Um, there's a play example in the back of the rule book that gives you a lot of different uh, circumstances. Um, there's cavalry charges that you can do if you want to. Like basically a cavalry charge. If anybody shoots a cavalry, cavalry shifted three columns negatively against them. So like cavalry just gets obliterated in, unless they're fighting other cavalry. <laughs> yeah, so that's about it. For that's cool. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Oh, oh, another cool thing. This is another cool thing. So, so um, real quick. So when you're out of command, like normally, like, so I mentioned that there's command range. So a headquarters has command range. So if my headquarters is, is uh, I have a French headquarters and it's aggressive, it's three. When it's defensive, it's five. Well, I want it defensive because I, I don't care about uh, the, the, diff the big difference is when you're aggressive, you can move adjacent to enemy units. When you're defensive, you can't. And when you're when you're defensive, you can rally guys. When you're aggressive, you can't. So that's the trade-off. It's rallying your people versus uh, being able to move into combat. So if I'm looking at the French and I'm like, well, I really need to take that hill, but um, I'm not ready. So I'm going to go into defensive because I need to roll off some of these hits, try to rally some of these units. Um, so I, I I look at my guy on a defensive. He's three, or maybe say he's three command range. So and it's it's half on the road. So because the couriers can move further on the road. So if I'm on a road, if they can trace on a road, it goes further. But some of my units might be out of command because they're either coming on late or uh, they didn't move as fast or whatever. So out of command units aren't just out of command. They have out of command shits that you pull out of cup. So you, and you put a chit on each hex that's out of command during the activation, and you don't know until the very end. And that's when all your out of command guys move, and you flip them, and it says what they can do. And they might be frozen, which means they can't do anything, oh. or sometimes they'll withdraw, or uh, if they maneuver, they can they can move normally. Uh, or they're cautious. So there's a whole bunch of different, and they tend to do better if you keep them on roads. Like some of the the out of commands will still let you do something if they're on a road, because the idea is, you know, they're trying to get to someplace. So, but I thought that was kind of cool that out of command was, there's a little bit of randomness thrown in there as far as you really don't know what your out of command mm -hmm. guys are going to do. So you can't just take your commander and say, I'm going to leave these two guys over here to defend this town, and then I'm going to take the whole rest of my corps off in this direction. Because those guys might get a withdrawal result for out of here. They're like, fuck it. Where's the rest of our guys? We're out of here. They just bug out of the town. So, yeah, so you got a question, Paul? I was just going to say, is this so, so I don't really know the, the period that well. So is this kind of like maneuver or is it like once you're entrenched you're like it's really hard to knock somebody out no it's basically the when you uh when you dig in initially like hasty digging in which you can do during the day that's basically you can do it if i think you're i want to say you have to be defensive but basically you can't do anything else that turn um it gives you a plus one to your quality so if you were it makes it easier okay. for you to pass morale test because now if you're a seven you're now an eight um uh, entrenching gives you a plus two, which is, you know, it starts to add up because you can be in a town which already gives you shifts, 
and uh, be entrenched, which I think also gives you shifts against fire. So it's it's, it's advantageous. But because they're only doing it in the eve at night, they can only really entrench at night. Um, and there's a lot of maneuvering room. Um, you know, you got to really pick carefully where you can entrench your guys. So, like in my campaign, basically gotcha. that I played, um, I did the first. I've done the first day so far, and so it kicks off with the kickoff of the actual campaign, where the French cavalry were eating breakfast, and the Prussian cavalry showed up and started shelling them with horse artillery batteries, and so they got completely smoked. So. Uh, and that was when Bazaine first became aware, or probably four hours after that, he became aware that the Prussians were now moving up behind him. <laughs> and and the game does that. You get basically like a surprise attack on the French cavalry by the Prussians. And uh, and so one, one uh, Prussian corps managed to barely get into Mars Latour. And it was, I mean, it's a close run thing. Meanwhile, the French are running for it too. And gradually, as more guys come on, it starts to become a little more stable. And then basically, the French started trying to form a battle line along that southern road around Mars Latour. But units are getting pounded. So then I had to pull one corps out and try to bring another corps in to take its place. Except the fucking Bazaine's Malays thing kept fucking it up. So I ended up with two, <laughs> two corps with a gap in between them with one core running back to bivouac in the valley while the other core was struggling to come up and fit itself into the gap. So yeah, it's fucking, bon it's bonkers. It's really good. But the game plays super quick. I mean, cause you just, the, basically you're rolling the dice and if you, if you roll shitty, you don't even need to check, you know, you just roll the dice and see what happens. And so mm -hmm. this game was, I want to say it was $33 pre-order. And I think it's that 50. It's pretty cheap. So, you know, I mean, it is one, it's basically two campaigns and I think two battle scenarios and then like a beginning. So, the, you know, there might be a little replayability issue because it is just the one campaign. But because there's so many options and so many different things can happen, I think there is quite a bit of replayability. So, and I'm, I'm biased mm -hmm. because I'm a fan of the period. So I think it really captures it. And kind of a fan of the system, right? Like I, I, I like the system, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the, the American Civil War stuff. I, but it's I good thought, to know that I know uh, you, you saying that it's better for this. I, I think does make sense, and th and that's interesting to hear. I, I my problem, like I have not sat down and actually played Thunder in the Ozarks. That might be more interesting. Cedar Mountain to me was kind of a boring battle. Yeah, it's a little too yeah. They basically just run into each other. And also the fact that the two sides are basically identical to each other. I mean, they have the same weapons, you know, there's not as much flavor. We're here that you have, I mean, the French are capable. The troops are good. You have firepower. It's your fucking commanders that are terrible. And then you've got Prussians that are well-led and have good artillery. So there's a real kind of tactical puzzle there that you have to solve, which mm -hmm. that you don't get in the American Civil War, where everybody's kind of the same. I mean, one unit might have better morale, or you know, it might have a better general. This brigade commander, division commander, might be better, or you have Stonewall, and I don't. Um, but uh, the flavor in the individual fighting makes it interesting, and the counters are great. I mean, I, I frankly don't especially like the counters in in the Civil War ones. I don't think they look that great. Um, this has like little pictures of the guys in their uniforms, like the Imperial Guard, French Imperial Guard guys have bear skins and stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's cool. Like it's got a little guy on it. Even your cavalry looks nice, even though they suck. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
Um, cool. This is yeah, this, this is a, this is obviously a ten for me because I think <laughs> wow. it's well because there's nothing like it. I mean, like there's just not a lot of good Franco-Prussian War games, and I hope he does some other like Marengo or Koniggratz or some of the other ones from the period. Um, but yeah, it's a great game for me. I think it's awesome. And he's been pretty active on the on the forums, right? Like when you post a rules question or whatever, he he seems to be pretty pretty quick to get on it. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's very. He seems like a really good guy. Um, he I is, mean, I'm yeah. I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little quicker than him, but that's mostly because I think I spend too much time on BGG. <laughs> uh, but but honestly, having played through once, most rules questions that come up, I'm able to answer just with the rule book. So that's awesome. It's, I mean, and be pretty confident that I'm giving the right answer. You know, it's not like I'm guessing. Um, so it's it's a great product like really well done and the campaigns have like they give a as far as components another great thing i love they give uh charts for both players they get their own charts uh the, the prussian event shits are all explained on one side of a chart the other side of it's got the terrain costs and the sequence of play um it explains what you can do for the postures and what happens if you're out of command and then you get another set of two charts which basically give you the fire combat tables and the assault combat tables. And then they've got uh, charts for the uh, scenarios, the different scenarios you want to do. If you, if you have, so you don't always have to refer to the, the playbook to see, uh, okay, what, what, what happens? Because, you know, it can get a little confusing because you're like, okay, so I'm the French. At 10 a.m., how many chits are we putting in the cup? You know, but this will tell you exactly. Mm -hmm. So the production quality is super high. And uh, the for as far as a deal, it's a great deal. So yeah, I am a total fanboy of the period. Um, so for me, it's a no brainer. Ten uh, high high beers. If you're the French player, probably even higher. Like it's realistic. If you want to play it realistically, you should be fucking maxed out on the beers. But, but you will you you. It's it's a, I think it's a unique game on the market in that. It's able to give you the tactical feel fun for the combat and still give you the larger command struggles where you feel like you're moving large formations and you're getting pissed off. Like you have to plan these formation moves out ahead of time, like two or three turns, because you're trying to figure out when they get there, where are all these pieces going to fit together on the battlefield? And by the time they actually get there, the shit is completely changed, you know? Because as the French the, the, the French were trying to move down this southern road to kind of get there, but as the Prussians started to encroach on it, then the French were like, okay, well, now we're going to defend north of the road, you know, because we can't use that road anymore. So things are constantly changing. And so you're thinking, I want to stop them here. How long do I want to try to take Mars Latour? At some point, you're like, it's hopeless. We're not going to be able to take it. So I can no longer keep moving my units as if I'm trying to achieve this daily goal of getting down that road. I need to start thinking about where they need to be tomorrow for mm -hmm. the goal I'm going to choose tomorrow. So I don't think I've seen many games that do something like that. I thought it was really cool. And I thought it was very cool that you actually get victory points for doing the stupid thing that Bazaine did, which is going back to Mets, because it's an option, you know, it's not the best option for you, mm -hmm. but, but it, and it's it, the Prussian player has that challenge of trying to anticipate what you're trying to achieve by what you're doing. Cause you might leave a couple core back and be like, well, the rest of the guys are marching off. So we're gonna get VPs. Good luck boys. <laughs> like hold them off <laughs> as long as you can. <laughs> but, but again, because the Imperial Guard, they're your best troops. Like the French infantry are like six morales. So any morale result of six or higher is going to uh, give them bad morale effects. 
the, I think the, the French Imperial Guard are like eights. They might be, yeah, I think they're eights. And uh, they're like, good, but you can't risk them because if you fuck up the Imperial Guard, they, that really hurts you on the VPs. So that thought was cool. That's awesome. So yeah, beers to be determined. I didn't play it with any beers. <laughs> on, yes. on, on blood thinners, it's great. I would say a normal dosage of blood thinners it's a, and a ton of dip. It seems to be a lot of fun. I recommend. Yeah, that's it. So you guys got anything else you want to talk about? Or is that a – oh, hey, I'm sorry. Another thing I want to talk about real quick. Um, I also wanted to – in in uh, we, we've talked about aperitifs before. So if you want an aperitif for this game, I have some reading <laughs> recommendations. Very nice. The Franco-Prussian War by Mike. I have a huge library for this period, so I won't bore you with my Austro-Prussian or my history of the War of 1866 <laughs> books. But the Franco-Prussian War by Michael Howard is like the go-to. That's like the old school book that everyone reads about it. Uh, there's the Franco-Prussian War, the German Conquest of France by Jeffrey Warrow. And then... The one that's actually about this campaign called A Day of Battle, Mars Latour by David Ascoli, A-S-C-O-L-I. So three good books you can get that will tell you about this period. May you love it as much as I do. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's always handy. Foolish so, generals leading brave troops. So I was going to ask you, so it sounds like there's, is this, you had fun, you were soloing this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's there's enough random stuff that it's fun solo. Yeah, because you have all these different decisions. I'm like, because I was sweating it. Like when my one division is holding on to Mars Latour, and I'm like, I think I need to rush guys up. I need more reinforcements. So then I started trying to put shits on that Prussian reinforcements, and I kept blowing my roll. Like I would invest shits in it. I wouldn't successfully roll for it. So I'm mm -hmm. like, fuck. <laughs> and at, at, for a while, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to hold off the French. I think they're going to they're going to overpower these guys, but they managed to hang in there. Nice, nice. And, well, and I think historically, the reason the, the one of the reasons the Prussians they have the uh, what is it called Van Brito's Death Ride or something. The Prussian cavalry basically fucking did a suicide charge on the French to drive them back and got pounded. Um, but they successfully like kind of stunned the French enough that then the Germans were able to retain the initiative, but mm -hmm. at like heavy casualties. I think it was called Van Brito's Death Ride. Herman will know that's that. a <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a I think that's a magazine game. Death Ride. There's yeah, like a I Death mean, Ride Mars Latour or something. I think yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, I think there's a picture of it on front of the Day of Battle of the of the actual uh, of the actual uh, battle of the actual book, but. I don't know if they would say what it is, but but yeah, that's 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 the, the big thing. The death ride, I think, was what supposedly saved the day at Mars Latour. But yeah, so in the second battle, Gravelot Saint Provost, the uh, the Prussian Guard Corps attacked uh, and was just pounded across open fields, just pounded by the French, and like the Prussians lost some of their best men in the Guard Corps. They were just annihilated. It's kind of like Iwo Jima. It was Iwo Jima ish. <laughs> tying it all together yeah so that's all i got boys that's all i got i dig it yeah it sounds like i'm gonna be out 50 bucks yeah it's worth it. yeah it's weird how that happens <laughs> no it is you, I, I don't think like basically i i 
told people, I'm like, run, do not walk to go get this game because it is really good. And you'll learn a lot about it. I mean, the best is if you read one of the books and then play it, you'll be like, oh, shit, dude, it is exactly. I mean, Herman clearly knows the fucking period, the historical period. He even has stuff like Can Your Bears Corps. Uh, they never got their entrenching tools. They were rushing out of the depots. So they didn't bring their entrenching tools. So when his corps is playing in a scenario, if you want them to entrench, they're minus two to entrench. Because they left the e-tools back at the depot. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep your e-tools. Nice. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the guy who used four other games about the period to write a, to make a game. You know, right? Like, hey, let me use as my bibliography the other four games I've played. So that's it. Well, Paul, uh, you're gonna get a little spice channel. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> might might see if see if Anthony's up. See, yeah. see what's going on in the fapping world. Yeah, go call down the desk. Request extra hand lotion. That's, that little, that little hand lotion thing's not going to do it, buddy. It's the lowest quality hand lotion. Only premium shit here. Treat That's yourself. Right. Yeah, what what kind of hotel are you staying at? What's the what's the the type? It's a it's a I don't know what you call it boutique hotel. It's it's it, there's one that's like we live near this giant. There's a giant shopping mall in Houston called the Galleria. Um, and we live close to that. So it's just like a quarter mile from my house or something. I just kind of booked it randomly, but it's kind of swanky. I got this weird sixties light fixture and this couch thing. So it's like a real, a real swinger situation. here. I'm going to have to start telling sit my by myself and, uh, and record even, a podcast. Even, even Clay Stone <laughs> didn't get a uh, hotel room to, to guest. <laughs> I, I need to tell Monica like, Hey, you know, I need to go get a hotel room I'm podcasting tonight. Once a month. That's right. <laughs> it's part of the budget. It's all that T-shirt money. Yeah, yeah. I, I told my wife. I was like, like the kids get up at like four thirty or something. I'm nauseous. So I was like, do you really want me showing up at one a.m. drunk in bed? Like, or you know, for a hundred dollars, this could all be over. You, know, the, you just the, don't have to deal with me until tomorrow. This, the sad thing is, thirty minutes before that is when I get up every single day. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I actually have to go into work tomorrow. I have to teach a class. I'm like, oh no. Me? So I already told my boss. I said I'm coming in late. So, yeah, we get we get the the stock exchange holidays. So I think we had like thirteen or eleven, something like that. We get a lot of holidays. So so Good Friday is one of those. But the nice thing is, my wife does not get it off, and uh, her oh, nice. the, the daycare is at her work. So the kids are at daycare. She's at work, and it's just me. Do a little <sighs> do a little solo OCS. Wake you up and, the hangover. You and, you and Ross passed each other like two ships in the night. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, like, guys who listen to the podcast who don't do anything with the guild, are they like, who the fuck are these guys yeah, talking, about? Yeah. talking about? All these characters. Yeah, I mean, it's better. Like, I listen to, uh, oh, I listen to Epic Gaming Night occasionally, and they have a chat thing, I think a live feed on their chat. So they're, like, basically live stream. I think that people in their chat can hear the podcast as they're doing it. Hmm. So, But it's fucking annoying because the guy's always talking about, like, what people are saying in chat. It's like, all right, dude. We yeah, no it. one cares. Oh, another podcast I just started listening to that I've been binging on. Have you guys? It was a recommendation on the guild. Have you guys listened to Slow Burn? I I, the, I downloaded it. Oh, dude, yeah. it's really good. It's about the Nixon uh, Watergate scandal. Yeah, uh, guy, he does a really good job. Yeah, I might listen to that tomorrow. Yeah, just driving home, I listened to probably four of them, which tells you how fucking far I have to drive. But <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about LA traffic? 
Yeah, that's will, always will, fun on podcasts. I will not miss that. So <laughs> that will not be. I just need well, less people. I don't know if it matters where I would retire to. I just need less people around. Yeah, I just I started that uh, the Revolutions podcast by the History of Rome guy. Uh, that's right. Which I yeah. just I just I'm almost done with the English Civil War. I started that on the way home from from Dallas last weekend. I've yeah. burned through most of that. I went through History of Rome, though. I kind of got petered out towards the end. I don't know if I ever actually finished it. I never got to the fall. I don't think. It, yeah, I don't. I, I think I was kind of like early empire. I made it be like five or six emperors, I think, something like that. I wasn't too far into it. Yeah, the revolutions one sounds good. What about you, uh, yeah, Jason? Just, what are you listening to, Jason? Oh, I'm all over the place. Um, what am I listening to now? A lot of true crime stuff. Um, and a lot of RPG stuff, actually. Oh, that's funny. You like Friends at the Table? Is that the one you're listening to? Yeah, and then um, oh, what's the other one? Um, the Gauntlet is like a they're like a network. They have a couple that I listen to that that are pretty good. They're they're kind of uh, they, they play Dungeon World on this on this one, and it's. Um, they, they do interesting stuff with it. I just, I have trouble listening to the, the only live RPG ones I can listen to are the AAC ones. Yeah. The, they're <laughs> so I, I kind of like, if I'm getting into a new game or reading a new game, I want to listen to it just to kind of see, you know, just like watching a YouTube video for a board game, right. Just to, to hear people playing it. And I I've listened to a lot and 90% of them are shit. And the ones we do are pretty good, and and I'm biased, but they're they're pretty good. I I because I I what's that one party of one? Yeah, is that the one party yeah. of one? Yeah. So I, I I liked him, but then you know I, as I listen to more of it, I started to be like, the problem is he he lets everybody like win. It's just <laughs> right. nothing bad ever happened. I'm yeah. always like, oh, you're totally let him off. Yeah. Right like, and like. And the best ones are the wrestling ones because the guy who he has on is funny. <laughs> like he's not funny. The guy yeah. is funny. The the guy he has on who does the wrestling stuff. I mean, he's hilarious. Uh, I forget Slimy McKeelberg or whatever his character is. <laughs> it's so good. He's so funny. He he he's always like his special power is I saved the world at one time. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I did listen to that. Yeah. He's so good. So, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm not a big RPG guy. So for me, it's like like the AAC. If I like the people, right, then yeah, I like probably. the podcast. So yeah. it's like like the Gamma World. Like I'm never gonna play Gamma World, but like just those fucking characters, like it kills it's, me. It's so funny. So I'm just stuck in traffic. So so that's the I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big. I don't think I'll go plumbing around for RPG podcasts, but I do like. Yeah, you're. I think you're better off for that. Now is Rex is more of like a serious like adventuring one. Like ours tend to be goofier. <laughs> um, it's. It's more serious. Um, it's so it's like seventy five percent of like the Ty's Call of Cthulhu because that's that's pretty serious. Yeah, Ty's struck me as being pretty serious. It's it's pretty serious, and I and it's really good, but it's really serious. And Rex's is somewhere in the middle because Duck and I are in there right. fucking around, and Sammer's you know being ridiculous. See, I think mine would probably be about 75 because I, I was looking through because I'm like, the tone of mine is going to be a little more serious. So yeah, I, I think that'll want, be good, though. Okay. I mean, I guess it's a change of pace. You, not, not everything can be fucking gonzo. But Gamma World is like... That's right. It's 
He was yeah, asking Gonzo. I mean, it's it's fucking weird. We're, you're playing a tomato, and I'm playing a an androgynous. Don't! How know, dare you? That, I'm, that's, I'm doing some serious, <laughs> serious dramatic acting. You are, and like it's a. F- but that's the thing. Like it's it's a tomato person that's fully fleshed out with you know this backstory and everything, and it's it's great. <laughs> but we also jerky legs and eat mushroom people. You that's know, right. And make friends with their friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we ate a scout. Well, cool. All right, uh, you got anything else you want to talk about, Paul? Are you good? No, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fade away here. Drink some more whiskey. There you go. I'm good. Do you have music selected for this podcast? I was before? gonna. That's that was the last thing I was gonna say. Is uh, no, you can do this one. <coughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll alternate. Let's do every other one. I'll, I'll get creative. Hey, um, but but do nothing about blood clots. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no reggae. So, uh, yeah, and work on that t-shirt, man. I know. I need to do it, it tomorrow. Because it's like a month away. This is the Donkey Kong t-shirt? I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. There's no Donkey Kong t-shirt. I think I'm just going to do – Samurai, I apologize. I think I'm just going to put the Godzilla on the front because I think that's funny. Why don't you do his, this donkey face on the front? Because it's more work. Because that image he sent – I mean, unless I just put up the shitty image he sent because it's not very good. Well, can you tell him the image is not good? Maybe he can send you a better He's, version. He, I mean, between me and Samurai, who are you going to trust with your graphics? That's right. Um, <laughs> but I, I – I'll, I'll put some work into it tomorrow and try to clean it up. Yeah, don't do too much work. But. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right, boys. All right. All right, guys. Okay. Good Bye. night, guys. Good night. Visit us at http colon slash slash boardgamegeek.com slash build slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. Bum, 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 bum.